Welcome back to We Bought a Mike. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Listomania is alive and well. Um, we are hitting you with a little special treat today. Starting a new tradition. I guess it started last year, but now it becomes an annual yeah. tradition. Just one time doesn't make a tradition. Twice makes a tradition. No, twice makes a trend. I think three times makes a tradition. Okay. So next year. Yeah. So we're starting a trend. Uh, with our top first time watches of 2021. Although there might be some debate over the exact wording. Yeah. First time um, experiences. Sen- uh-huh. Sensory, sensory experience. Yeah. New discoveries. How about top 10 discoveries? I like that. I like discoveries. discoveries, I, discoveries that's a good word. Fit in? Yeah. I did. I'll be honest. I was very broad at first. Uh, my name is Hunter. Um, and I was just like top 10 experiences. How broad can I go with this? I had a lot of changes happen in my life this year. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, my number one, I think was sex. <laughs> yeah. And the number one is consummating my marriage. Um, um Okay. And then uh, number two was. Uh, You're spoiling your probably, list right now. Yeah. Shit. Okay. I'll save the rest. This was. Rest. Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Welcome. My name's Ernest. Um, I'm, I'm Hunter. I'm Drew. All right, boys. We want to get into this list. So I don't know how much more preamble we need to do. I will say right before we start recording, we did mention that we did an entire Nicolas Cage series in 2021. Um, and all of those movies are fair game. I did a little rule for myself and I made all of those movies ineligible for my list. Um, not to say that that's what you guys have to do for years. We, those are obviously fair game. But for me, I I think, you know, first of all, like we have episodes on those. So it's like we've already talked about them a lot. So I wanted to spotlight things that we haven't uh done full episodes on but there are some nick cage movies that would definitely make my list and i if you know they're not shouted out throughout the the list i'll give them a shout out at the end um i also did another rule for myself obviously same goes for robin i didn't do any robin movies and then i also didn't uh shout out movies that were shouted out in last year's episode we did with friend of the pod harry so there's one movie that uh was on that episode i think it was on your list hunter when harry met sally oh yeah 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 i yeah i i counted my first watch in 2021 because i had never seen that movie in its entirety and it would be on my list (laughs) it would probably be in my top five but i was like okay since it was on on last year's episode i'm gonna leave it out but otherwise it would be on there all right so i think those are all the kind of uh rules or or parameters that we want to mention right um, yes, there will be a little bit of, this is a loose list. We aren't, this is the list where we can fudge the rules a little bit. Yeah, you can of, hit. We can hit on this list. Um, so I got a little bit, I, I toned it down. I didn't go two balls to the walls with my craziness of my list, but there's a couple of fudging. There's a couple of ties. I'll say. Okay. If you make me choose one, then I can choose one, but I would rather not. I would rather leave them as ties and we'll get into <laughs> the, we'll get into them as we discuss the list. Okay. So yeah, just as a reminder, this is our top first time um, discoveries. Uh, So anything that did not come out in 2021 is fair game. Um, And, you know, just 
if you didn't listen to last year's episode, it's pretty much the pandemic era of kind of everything being thrown into a little bit of chaos in terms of like release dates and also just having more time to watch stuff. It, it, it just we started this 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 new list episode last year because we just found ourselves like with more uh, time and just room to experience older things. And also for me personally, this is like a this is like a victory lap for <laughs> the 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 copious amounts of um, cataloging that I do on letterbox <laughs> of everything that I watch uh, and all of the list making and all of the diary entries and everything. This is like I get to pat myself on the back <laughs> on this episode and like and, and big congrats to you. For yeah, that. <laughs> we're, we are all proud of you now for doing that. It just it feels like uh, like I didn't waste my time. <laughs> Like no, there is a payoff. Of course not. To it all. I will also say, um, and this will also be expressed on our list as we go on here, but we've already shouted out some of the great streamers, uh, specifically HBO Max in our last the catalog. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that's also like a thing that's nice about doing these kind of first time watches, first experiences, whatever we want to call it, just because the streaming age as much as we can kind of bitch and moan about how it's leading to like the death of cinema and movie theaters it also opens up uh you to whole new worlds that you would never have experienced otherwise all right i think that's a good place to start so i think i'll start since you started i can't even remember who started which just go for it but i will volunteer myself with my number 10 uh, I don't think there's going to be any overlap here, but if there is, we'll save the discussion for whoever has it highest, as we always do. But uh, my number 10 is Lars von Trier's Melancholia. Um, this is one Ooh, of Lee's favorite movies of all time. She had been wanting to get me to watch it for years, and we finally sat down and watched it. And man, this movie is a trip. Holy shit. It is a uh, story about a planet colliding into earth and basically um the the depression and anxiety that comes with an event of that scale and it, it is a it, it, you know with with that scale it is a small scale story it is just a story of uh, Kristen Dunst uh getting married and not being able to like fully engage with her wedding and like the joy of that day because of this looming uh threat um, and it just does this really good job of like putting you in her shoes and making you feel that insane sense of of depression and dread. So obviously not the kind of movie that you just kind of put on whenever you kind of you definitely have to be in, in a very specific mood. Um, and I think that Lars, he can turn a lot of people off. Obviously, he did the Nymphomaniac movies. He did recently. He did the house that Jack built. Um And he's known for movies that are like extremely off putting. But I think that this movie just it has a lot going for it. You know, it's not it's not a happy movie, but it does like give you that experience of like what it must be like to be consumed by depression and anxiety and existential dread. Um, And that's the power of movies to be able to put you in that place. Um, also shout out to Charlotte Gainsbourg, who's like one of Lars kind of go to cast members who plays uh, Kristen Dunn's sister and the movie's kind of split in two. So the first half is from uh, Kristen Dunn's character perspective, Justine, 
and then the other one from Claire's perspective. Um, and then Kiefer Sutherland and Alexander Skarsgård are also in the mix there as um, the supporting cast. So great, great movie. Absolutely love it. Can't recommend it enough. But again, you do have to be in the right mindset for it because it is very, very heavy. And there's nothing else like it. And and we talked a little bit about Don't Look Up uh, a couple episodes ago, Drew, and the fact that that's like a comic coming to Earth. And that yeah. movie takes like the zany parody satire approach. This movie's like, let's actually dig into those feelings and let's make you feel those intense emotions. Um, so that's Melancholia. It's a Lars von Trier film. My number 10. Let's go to your number 10, Drew. All right. We're moving to music right here. Mm-hmm. Um, this is sort of cheating because it's an artist I already liked, um, but I got a lot more into last year is MF Doom. Uh, we obviously we lost the man uh, late 2020 to COVID. Uh, he was sort of you know he was a mysterious sort of enigmatic guy his whole life. He lived in like a, on like a private island and shit. He never really showed his face. Um, for that reason, you know, and also just being generally savvy on the internet, he was sort of an internet icon. Um, his his album with Madlib is you know like the white boy album of the the decade um so that's that's the one i'm going to assume most people are easily the most familiar with but that's the one with the mask on it yeah on the yeah, cover mad villainy yeah uh yeah it's yeah artist artist name technically mad villain but it's madlib and mf doom um he also did a much less heralded album with fucking danger mouse uh like the year after that it's called danger doom and it's it's very very good um, I, I, you know, I probably sound like a moron to anyone who is like, uh, yeah, man, <laughs> where you been? Uh, it, it goes back farther than that. Obviously the same year as Mad Villainy put out an album called mm food, which is an anagram of MF doom. Um, and it, it's, you know, it's, it's not going to be as like compact and like prim and, you know, perfectly constructed as like a Mad Lib produced album, but it's, absolute killer it has it has bangers on it that are like you know just as well known as any song from mad villainy but uh the album as a whole is just an it it kills it's so so good and going back five years from that actually in 99 operation doomsday is a fucking killer um especially in the context of being the 1990s um way way ahead of his time this man um not anything new to say that but it goes back like how far ahead he was i was going to recommend operation doomsday this album fucking slaps it is it's so classic 90s rapping that there's like skits and stuff in the album and everything else like that but it's just fucking this man just absolute legend and like it's one of those things where even in something as early as operation doomsday you can see his influence on everything that side of hip hop had to come like there would be no jpeg there would not be even like somebody like um like injury reserve or any of these artists that we really love now they're more alternative rap would not exist without mf doom yeah he's all the music that's going to be on my list actually has sort of a common thread of like having almost a casual feel to it and he didn't always have that like because i he he could sort of spout off um like runs of lines that are the most (laughs) internal rhymey lines that you've ever heard in your life where like every syllable has a match like a a, you know a couple uh moments later uh but it all feels very casual and then also he does just every now and then he you know it it 
there's just like a very like first take in the stew feel. Nice. Um, and that's, that's something I really like in music uh, as I found last year is like sort of like effortless greatness uh, because it's sort of what everyone, I, I feel like everyone aspires to just being able to just casually spout off incredible music. Uh, but only if you could actually do it and have the effortlessness heard in the music uh so very he's he's a cool guy so you're you're putting just kind of the whole discography on your list or yeah just like the idea of music (laughs) (laughs) is it just let's just talk music just mf doom in general yeah specifically uh you could say danger doom and like operation doomsday and mm, food in particular (laughs) those those three albums are our killers awesome that's drew's number 10 hunter your number 10 um your first two uh entries on both of your lists have a little bit of a somber feel so i want to pick the mood up a little bit i want to talk about our boys uh because this year was uh kind of the coming out party for please don't destroy yeah absolutely so just want to talk about i actually shout out to wife of the podcast who was sending me their tiktoks back in like probably late 2020 very early 2021 well before they ever blew up um before i heard anybody else talking about them i was like oh these guys are really funny like they do kind of give me like good neighbor vibes and then the doom breaker video came out right Mm -hmm. whenever the vaccines were coming out and i believe it was march april ish or so is when that video came out and ever since then, it, they have had a meteoric rise, yeah. to say the least. Now, SNL. <laughs> for people who don't know who they are, they are the new digital short guys on SNL that you might have seen. Or you might you might recognize them from the uh, Miley Cyrus, Pete Davidson, New Year's Eve bash. Oh, yeah. Um, Did you... Were you, were you yeah were you there for that yeah yeah they were <laughs> they were on like two minutes before the new year they yeah. were airing a sketch from these guys it's crazy it's wild how much they blow on up. nbc <laughs> um it is martin herlihy ben marshall and john higgins uh this trio and like the sexiest men alive they're just they're yeah. kind of geniuses like i just kind of can't believe how many ideas it's either they are geniuses of comedy or they have had so many ideas just brewing in the tank and just are like exploding now that they have an audience to actually unleash all of well, these it's, ideas. It's also harnessing like the short TikTok format too, like really leaning into that. It's not just mm-hmm. a good idea. It's it's also just like, let's make the most of like 60 seconds. Yeah. I, I followed Ben on Twitter, like back to, you know, in like mid 2020 um, because they don't on Twitter, they don't have like a please don't destroy account where they post their mm-hmm. videos. The videos are either conceived by Ben or Martin. And then whoever conceives it is the one who posts it on their Twitter account. And so I've been following Ben for a long time. And then also Martin shortly after they it's it's pretty much all heaters with them. They're they're NYU guys. And so they went through like a very, you know, well-established sketch scene in New York City. Um, I think they were probably in like the Hammercat sketch group that just like shits out incredible talent. Um, so they know how sketch works, but they also they don't have any pretense about shortening it and heightening it a yeah. lot. Mm-hmm. And that I think a lot more people need to figure that out, particularly SNL. SNL has a real penchant for uh, dragging sketches mm-hmm. the fuck out when they should just end. 
uh, if there's any critique I have of their output so far in SNL, it's that it's not a minute long and it should yeah. be because that's what they're best at. They're just like the most efficient sketch yeah. artist. Like of just like we just banger, banger, banger joke and then it ends yeah, before they, it goes on too. Yeah. Long. It doesn't it never overstays its Sometimes well. you have to Some end it so stuff. abruptly. That's the genius. I mean, this yeah. is what, exactly what we were talking about last week with I think you should leave and the genius of that show. Yeah. They're um, they they just they get it. They know how to harness uh the internet's attention span while also having like formalist sketch structure in there. It, it's a perfect marriage and production value. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They like ordered a David Foster Wallace life-size <laughs> cutout for one of their sketches. <laughs> I, I do want to say, so my, I don't know if you guys have like a personal favorite of theirs from their TikTok. My favorite is normal goth. Um, yeah, that's a that's a killer one. Uh, where uh, Ben is dressed up like a goth guy with his Jack Skellington shirt on, his makeup, and of him He's just like, being I'm like, "I'm just a, a gym looking for looking my for Pam." His Pam. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm perpetually single. Yeah, um, and just being like, uh, didn't think about the president for the last three days. I love this presidency. <laughs> it's so good. I love um, the uh, the divorce dad going to Pandora Con. Oh my god. That's so good. <laughs> that one's that one is like so good. Been some good Pandora content they, last year. Yeah. <laughs> speaking speaking to their production value, they they do a lot of I would call it like good neighbor production stuff where it's like technically it's not like they're spending money or yeah, doing like anything five dollars. Yeah, it's just like smart. It's yeah. smart and economical, just like their videos. Mm-hmm. Where like the the one video where uh, I think. Martin is stuck in the TV. Yeah. Yeah. And that like that's very easy to do if you plan it out. It's just smart. Very well. Yeah. yeah. They they planned out a video where they're interacting with him in the television. Um and it, yeah, it, it's I don't know. It it's all it has a sheen to it that's like it's not too much for for like a TikTok because that also I've seen comedy TikToks where it's like you guys are, this Spent is a, so yeah, much where you're you're watching it thinking this is a TV audition tape. Yeah, you are you are trying to secure yeah. budgeting, and that's never was the feel with them, and yet it happened anyway because they're yeah. naturally great. Which which fine if if that's what you're doing, like fine, but that's not necessarily like what pops in mm. this medium. You know, it's it's a way to get to something else, and that's kind of what they did in a way, but only because well, obviously there is you know they have connections, their parents, what whatever. But also, you know, it's just the the infectious of it in a very specific time period of like people just being at home on their phones and being like served yeah. these videos through the algorithm. It just the stars align for them. I also wanted to shout out the uh, Shailene Woodley Xbox game. <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> that, that, that so one's good. so hard. <laughs> that one was also. Yeah. Oh man. Um, so if people want to find Please Don't Destroy, if they haven't heard of them, they're that you have to look up these guys like individual TikTok and Twitter accounts, right? I think they have That's a Please Don't gold- Destroy TikTok. Um they do? I think that they just have no, I think I don't it's know. individual on TikTok. Oh, yeah. also um, I'm sure yeah. like you can do hashtag please don't destroy and okay. see stuff Yeah, on there. but it's it's Ben Marshall and then Martin Hurley. Um, yeah. And they have stuff on they, YouTube too, but that's kind of longer form. Yeah, that's long form like yeah. like when they were in college mostly mm. sketches. Do you guys worry about what happened to the fourth guy who's in like a third of their sketches? Uh no. I'm I'm all right. Yeah. <laughs> They, oh, the they brought John Higgins along. And the that's, guy that that's, didn't make it to us. Yeah, no, no, well, because he isn't technically part of the, the trio of them, but he's just in like, he's just their friend who's in like a third, a quarter of their sketches yeah. or so. 
Fortunately, you got left behind. The the SNL stuff so far hasn't really wowed me, but I'm glad they're there. There's and I'm been glad a couple of good airtime. There's you know, there's been a couple of like sketches. The that, Rami Malik one was really good. Ram, yeah, like Rami wants a treat. The yeah. uh, the seltzer one was like pretty funny. Yeah. yeah, he um, listen, don't look now, but the the new cast of SNL is making some good stuff, and it goes beyond. Please don't destroy. I'm, I might I might do a little segment on this coming up because. Uh, this is the best Wait, SNL season back? probably in like this is not saying much, but probably in 10 years. Yeah, um, it's been stale for a long, long time. So and that was like Sudeikis, Fred. Do we, Forte, yeah, yeah, exactly. Because this this cat like I love a lot of the individual pieces that have been around for so long, like Cecily and Kate and 80 and bringing in like Squirm but, and yeah, but, like but their shit people. has been stale for too long. And yeah, you brought it. Sarah Squirm had an awesome update segment where she <laughs> made Colin Jost like likable somehow. Like, and it was written by Please Don't Destroy, by the way. Nice. Oh, I actually didn't. That is a great, that is a great little sketch. Yeah, her, um, uh, James Austin Johnson, I think is his name. Just, just that guy rules. He he rules hard. He's usable in so, so in a talented. billion different ways. Yeah, he'll be he'll be on SNL for as long as he wants to be on SNL because he's he can't be a movie star. He's kind of like Dana Carvey, I feel like. Yeah. Like he'll be around forever. Great impressions. Yeah. Uh all right. So please don't destroy us. Hunter's number 10. We're on to number nine. Uh my number nine is a movie called The Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Oh, man, the forgotten 2007 movie. Yeah. Well, everybody was just all about this, like, holy trinity of films. This is like the forgotten one that was like, hey, I was also nominated for a bunch yeah. of Oscars. It's uh, written and directed by Andrew Dominic. Um, and this movie is kind of fascinating. Uh, Brad Pitt plays... Uh, Jesse James and Casey Affleck plays Robert Ford. And this is a true story of these like outlaws in, in the kind of wild West, the, the late stages of the wild West. 1881 is kind of where the story begins and it plays out for a few years. Um, and it's how Jesse James was killed by Robert Ford. Like that's the title of the movie, but you explore the relationship between these two men and how Jesse James was kind of this legend that a lot of people in the, in the West kind of idolized and told stories about, and then how Ford kind of joins the inner circle, joins the band of outlaws. And there is a little bit of like a meta angle to it, to Brad Pitt being like this kind of like legendary, mysterious kind of Titan of the, of the West. Um, and and uh, fucking Casey Affleck trying to like be friends with him and like hang out with him. Um, and, you know, it's a little bit of uh, Ocean's Eleven reunion, you know, right there. Uh, and uh, I I just the, the thing that made me want to put this movie on, on my list, aside from everything I just said, is the cinematography by Roger Deakins. Every fucking shot in this movie is stunning. It is absolutely gorgeous. And and Deacons is doing some wild shit using like old lenses that have like weird effects on them um, just because of the, the, the glass just is worn uh, and just shooting on location in these open prairies and and, you know, using light and shadow and dirt and smoke all to his advantage. There's like this real texture to it. Um, it's a slow movie. It's not an action packed uh you know uh thriller or anything like that 
Uh, but it does kind of build and build and, and you get the sense of, of kind of culmination in the actual assassination. Um, and it's, you know, co- going back to my meta point, it is kind of a movie about fame. It is a little bit about like how it starts to eat away at you on a personal level and you, the relationships around you. Um, so I loved it. Again, it's a little slow. Uh, don't expect something really kind of action packed or anything like that. But if you're in the in the mood for something moody and, you know, kind of slower pace, but then, you know, these beautiful, beautiful images. Also, uh, soundtrack by Nick Cave. Oh, so our nice. guy coming in there to to kind of give it a little bit more of that kind of mysterious, murky, grimy feel. Uh, I love it. I, I was just going to ask, do you think this movie has just gotten like forgotten to time because it was just like wrong year to come out? Oh, yeah. Because this is 2007. Not only did it come out like with the movies that we mentioned with Michael Clayton, There Will Be Blood, No Country for Old Men. It's also like third on the list of Westerns just to come out that year. Also, 310 to Yuma also came out in 2007. So it was just like a lot of Westerns. And yeah. The title is too long. Way too that long. That is yeah. another thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's the assassination of Jesse James by the coward, Robert Ford. It's my number nine. Drew, number nine. All Let's right. With it. I'm going to bust out my, my unimpression here. All right. Ready? <clears throat> good morning, Vietnam. Nice. <laughs> that was really good. Yeah. Uh, I love this movie. It's not even as a movie. It's not even incredible uh, is the thing. It's Barry Levinson. You know, I, is he coming off of Rain Man or is that coming up for him? I think he is coming off of it. Yeah. Uh, either way, it shares a lot of DNA because he's just he's really mostly just putting the camera on a movie star and making it look nice. And then oh, wait, it, no, it's the year before. Yeah, it is. It's right before. And he's just letting the movie star be be incredible. Um, and another thing that it shares is uh, improvisation in those like long ass takes of the of the stars. Uh this is, I think, easily the best use of Robin Williams that we might ever see in our entire series uh, because it it's not. He's off the leash. It's not. Yeah, he's better at improving than he is. Yeah. He's a really good actor, but he's better at improving than he is acting because he's probably the best at improving of anyone ever. Like, it, you know, it, he's sort of an unmatched talent in that arena. Like. Do you remember when he he went on uh, Who's Line for like an episode or two, and yeah. he was just like like just as good as them? <laughs> I it, mean, it's pretty kind out- of better in some cases. Yeah, he's like he's outrageously good at this. Um, this also it started a lot of patterns that we would see for, like that we will see also in the rest of uh, Robin's career. Uh, in terms of like Robin playing. A, a dissenter, a creative, like free thinking, like different type of guy who, yeah. who comes into a situation and is like, no, 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 no. This is how we should yeah. do. And then, you know, let's 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 rip open the first page of the book that yeah. tells you how to do it. And, yeah. And then like multiple antagonists whose entire role is just like, he can't do that here. <laughs> um, this has one of the funniest, in my opinion. I really I really like the guy who's just like, well, no, I'm funny. I think yeah. I'm <laughs> that's a great character. That guy's so yeah. good. Yeah. But yeah, as an, as a whole movie, it doesn't it doesn't even work perfectly. Like there, uh, because it it tries to have a good amount of story, and that's 
when it falls flat because we're not just enamored. Yeah, the romance. Yeah, because we're not just staring at this man being like, how in the fuck is he so captivating? In those moments, yeah, we have to rely on uh, writing and pacing and direction and yeah. uh, all the things that are are good in this movie, just not as good as watching uh, a generational talent just cook. Um, but that alone, it was enough for me to really, really, really love this movie. A lot of plenty about it hasn't aged well uh, because it's comedy. Uh, and that's how that works. Shout so. out to Forrest Whitaker too. Oh my God. He, he rocks. Yeah. yeah. You can't. Yeah. He, uh, he's the only secondary player in this that I think is like, is matching. He's not, he can't match Robin because like Robin's no character one can match Robin. Yeah, Robin's yeah. character <laughs> and persona are, are unmatchable on purpose, yeah. but he is, he's bringing it in. I didn't know that he played that kind of role early. Well, in he's his he's pretty soft and quiet. Yeah, he's he's just he's sweet and lovable, but he has like a spunk to him. Uh, great character. It's 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 a fun movie, worth watching. Yeah, we did a whole ep on it, so good you can check that out. Morning Vietnam. If uh, if morning, you want more Vietnam. thoughts and more good morning Vietnams, uh, it's Drew's number nine. Hunter number nine. Uh, number nine for me is my first uh, little little fudging of the rules just a little bit. But um, no, we uh, <laughs> so Drew, you mentioned an artist uh, for your number 10 who was taken from us uh, too soon. And there was another artist who is lost, but by their own accord this year. And I'm talking about Daft Punk mm-hmm. um, who announced their official retirement from making music back in march which sent me into a very sad and somber place for a period of time and during that time i did go through and i watched for the first time all the way through um a lot of their films that Mm -hmm. they actually put together uh speaking specifically of interstellar 5555 the story of the secret star system or the five tory of the five egret five tar five istum oh wow um (laughs) that's the full title yeah um (laughs) well the the stars the s's are fives oh okay Um, yeah uh it's pretty much like a uh a music video an extended music video for the entire discovery album uh which discovery is one of the greatest albums of the 21st century so you know not gonna complain about that at all but really cool animation style uh kind of japanese animation style following this uh four-piece band that's being exploited by a um like a record label and they're they're an alien band that's getting like abducted by the humans and integrated. It it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Uh, but mostly, I really want to talk about um, Electroma, which is a film that does not include Daft Punk music in the same way Interstellar does. Uh, but it is directed by. Um, let me make sure I <coughs> get this name right. Guy Manuel de Homem Cristo, who is one half of Daft Punk. Um, this is a film that is mostly silent. It's very avant-garde. Um, and it is about this duo of robots trying to become human. And it kind of speaks to the concept behind much of Daft Punk's story and their personas about they're just two robots trying to find themselves and trying to be human. And of course, human they finally all. break through in... Um, random access memories is kind of their coming to become human uh their come breakthrough moments uh 
this film is kind of tragic in like a really beautiful way. It also is like very disturbing. Some of the yeah. imagery. Well, um, there's like there's, no dialogue, right? No, there, it's yeah. completely it's like a imagery. silent film for, I believe it's like an 80 ish minutes or so. Um, but I, so that's going to turn a lot of people off whenever I'm describing this movie, but there's just certain images. that are just like burned in my head forever. Like there's yeah. one scene where they're in this completely white room everything is just so staunchly white and they're putting on masks of like human faces over their yeah. helmets and it is like some of the most disgusting thing <laughs> imagery that you will ever see in your entire life but, but like then, and then when they melt off later that is even more unsettling yeah it's absolutely brutal um the ending i mean spoilers for an avant-garde film but the way that it ends um with them walking into the desert um is just like really really it's really beautiful in a really like sad way and then eventually one of them just sets like takes the helmet off and just sets himself on fire um which is for people who are daft punk fans you might recognize it it is they clipped part of this movie and um, edited it to uh, touch the song from Random Access Memories to announce that they were retiring from making music. So I was like ugly sobbing while actually watching this in the movie because Daft Punk is one of my favorite artists ever. They're in my top five artists. They were taken from us. Uh, I just I I wish them nothing but the best for the two of them for the rest of my life. But well, they they did everything they wanted to. I think. Yeah, I think, I think they got to a just, point where they they just didn't know where else to go that wasn't. And you know, I think that they got tired of like them and Frank Ocean being on the top of everybody's like anticipated albums of the year, and people are like, I don't know, could happen. <laughs> and I think that they probably were just like, no, no we're done. We it's we not like the last thing that we got from them was kind of the reinvention of the weekend which um oh starboy yeah with starboy and kind of that launched a new persona of music for the weekend um that i think is incredible um stay tuned for further discussion about the weekend coming up on a later date but um yeah well they also they also um worked with partials Yes. Yep. Parcels as well. Yeah. I mean, they've done a lot of stuff or at least one half of them have done stuff with different. With a and I think they'll continue artists. to. I have a feeling they'll keep popping up behind the scenes. Yeah. And there. But know, it's more of, a, it's more of yeah. an announcement that we will never get another album from Daft Punk, which is that's that that hurts my soul. And also, I just that means that we'll probably never get a chance to actually see Daft Punk live, which is. <sighs> That has been since I think I was like 13, number one on my bucket list. And so that's it's it's tragic. But, you know, I'll I'll, I'll be fine. I'm just but a simple. Man. So Electroma is back on YouTube because it had been taken off for a while. Oh, really? Uh, and as I of this recording, it, it got re-uploaded because um, I remember uh, like new album on the way. <laughs> <laughs> I remember like like. I watched it on YouTube back when they first announced the the breakup and then everybody was trying to watch it like weeks later and it was gone. But right now it's it's back on there. If you just search yeah. Punk Electroma HD. It's I will say again, this is a movie that listeners can probably tell. It's probably just not for like the vast, vast majority of people. But for me, this is one of my favorite things I experienced this year because also it was just like 
discovering you guys know the feeling it's the same feeling that we had whenever we were talking about get back where it's like a band that you love and then you discover up like something new about them that you hadn't known before and you're like oh my god there's this whole other side of this artist who's like one of my favorites that i didn't even know existed there so it's just shedding more light on something like that that i really love i recommend it for people who are fans of daft punk um and i'll also, I, I I didn't give this enough attention when I watched it. I gave it sort of a cursory watch through, and I'll say I'll say now what I said then. Uh, any any frame of this, uh, full screen, pause, right click, save, yeah. uh, make desktop picture. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like it all looks incredible. It's so yeah. stupidly it's beautiful, yeah. and you're like, what? <laughs> so like I guess this guy just also instead of making music code just crafted like the most beautiful like code, just been a direct beautiful director. I don't know. It's uh Hunter's number nine, Daft Punk, specifically the films, and to Stellar Interstellar five 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 and yep. Electroma. Um speaking of masters of uh visual composition. I'd like to tell you about my number eight. Oh, uh, you can. Michael Mann. Hey. The man. Hey. The man, Michael oh, Mann, and his film Thief. Yo. I, oh, yeah. Uh, you know, I'm I'm not joking right now. I was about to leave my house, and I was wearing a Heat shirt Ooh. that I got. Um, yeah, Michael Mann's Heat. And then I spilled Soylent all over <laughs> it, and I had to change. <laughs> As, Show up uh, stinking of soil on your Michael Mann eat shirt. I was I was so mad. As as oh, Michael Mann would probably uh would probably prefer, you know, mm-hmm. a, just a stinky soil and he's definitely shirt. yeah, he definitely loves drinking his food that um, <laughs> so so Thief is his nineteen eighty one movie. Um I think this is his debut. Yeah, this is his first movie, guys. He comes out of the gate like fucking raging this movie rocks so hard um it's about a thief okay uh, i'm listening <laughs> uh james con oh is baby. the thief yeah and you're just kind of vibing with him like the movie kind of opens with him doing a uh a heist of like a you don't really know what it is until like it's over. I think it's just diamonds. I think he's just like breaking into a safe and getting diamonds. But the movie's not about that. It's more about him just kind of like being a guy and like trying to like date this woman and, you know, seeing if it's a viable relationship for him. And she kind of digs it because he's kind of like a criminal, but he's also not into like being a romantic fella to kind of, you know, swoop her off her feet or whatever Mm -hmm. um but man this movie just it has like it's it's one of those movies where you watch it you know what 40 years after it came out Mm -hmm. and you just feel like it didn't lose anything like it it is intact michael mann is like that Mm -hmm. when when he was pitching he (laughs) literally yeah (laughs) he like he 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 was sort of inimitable even though you would imagine that like, oh, it's a crime film, like, you know, 80s crime movie. Like, I get it. No, they they age so good. It's mm-hmm. it's wild. It just has like this. Uh, it, it this this feeling to it that it's just it's the sheen, but it's not this it's not artificial. Like it's still there is this like tangibility to it, but it has like this like. I don't know, this kind of like crystal clear quality to it and every shot it, it, I, I I wrote on Letterboxd that 
everywhere this man points his camera, it's a perfect shot. He can't help it. Like it's just stunning. Everything, everything. And, and there's these, these moments where it's just like these beautiful, perfect, like, how did he think? How did nobody else think of this? Like these moments where he'll frame the camera. And I'm thinking about the opening scene where he's kind of breaking into this. And I think it happens towards the end. I think there's another heist, but they use these machines to like drill into a safe and the way the sparks are flying as the drill is drilling into the metal. It's like, this is the best shit I've ever seen. Like how, how is he making this look so fucking good? And you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's a pretty simple story. You know, you get the romance subplot, which, you know, you get a lot of comedy out of, out of this guy just trying to like date this woman. There's a lot of good beats there. And, you know, he's doing his thing. He's, it's a process movie about how a guy steals shit and the, the sketchy people that are in his way and that kind of keep him from doing his, his one last job so that he can retire. Um, so, you know, a lot of kind of standard genre tropes here and there, you know, you kind of know what you're getting at a certain point, but this is one of those where it's just like the best possible version of it. Yeah. I mean, Michael Mann is like the king of this genre of movie. I really need to do like a Michael Mann watch through because everything I have never seen heat, um, or seen thief. I've seen heat numerous times um but like or like manhunter i haven't watched that one but like i love i fucking love collateral i've sang the praises of collateral on this pod multiple times same with miami vice the most zanned out movie ever made (laughs) dear god do i love it um yeah thief rocks shout out to willie nelson who's in this movie and you're just like wait what the fuck willie nelson (laughs) and he just kills it uh jim belushi's in this yeah wait um, jim yeah jim jim belushi that wow he must be young mm-hmm. look, yeah look, look, i uh, yeah I, i'm sure the the behind the scenes stories of jim belushi and james con well, was jim probably is jim w- did he go crazy like john i don't know if he went crazy but he now he just like tweets about pot all day. Oh, yeah. it's very funny. Yeah, he, he just he's on there like, yeah, I like weed. I mean, I mean, just looking at this cast, like Jim Belushi, Willie Nelson in a movie together. I don't think they share any scenes, but if they hung out, bruh, yo. Um, also, I got to shout out. There's this whole sequence that plays out in like a used car lot in this movie that, again, it's just like it just looks stunning. Like the way the lights reflect off of the cars and like the just the way everything looks in this movie is just fucking beautiful i i couldn't get enough of it um you can watch it it's it's on it's on a canopy hoopla pluto and tubi so you know the 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 real streaming services that care about cinema Mm -hmm. um you can Mm -hmm. check out michael mann's thief which is my number eight drew number eight it's a podcast uh, it's called We Bought a Mic. We Bought a Mic. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had honestly never checked it out. <laughs> First time. <laughs> just assume that we were just talking yeah. to each other. Like, shut the fuck up, you guys. <laughs> um, no, it is season one specifically of the Blowback Podcast. Um, Yo, great recommendation. Yeah, I yeah. yeah, I've been going off about this pod in many this is the Iraq War, one? many a group chat. Yeah, season one. It's I think it's a ten part. Yeah, I have it right here. It's a 10 part investigation into the Iraq war um, done from 
a leftist perspective, but it's very objective. The like you come out realizing that it's not really a perspective. It's just like knowing what happened, yeah. essentially. <laughs> like, it's knowing like, oh, all politicians are fucked. Like, it's we're, um we're all what's fucked. a lot of context too to everything that That's, led up to it. It's yeah, it's le- it more than just talking about like 9-11 and the 2004, the Iraq war itself. It's talking about like there's episodes and episodes that are leading up to everything in the Gulf War and pre-Gulf yeah. War that is building laying the seeds for what is to come yeah and when i when i mentioned objectivity the reason that it's so uh non-debatable is because of how insanely well-sourced this podcast is it's 100 scripted and written and almost everything they're saying they're not pulling from like like jacobin or whatever like they're not pulling from like you know sources that you could consider skewed they're they're pulling from like fox news and like you know uh right-leaning sources uh like and and also just like the new york times like every single news source they're pulling audio clips of these people actually speaking they're not they're not pulling any punches here they're like providing as much uh full data on the situation as possible uh, for you to realize how much of an outright crime that the Iraq war was um, the, the amount of silliness that led up to it. The, I mean, the first couple episodes give you uh, like a, a decades long history of American middle East inner interactions going back to like probably the sixties. I want to say uh, I learned more listening to this than I did uh, going to school last year. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's just, it's really, really impressive because with the amount of da- like data they're dumping on you, it, it feels, still feels very breezy. It's hosted by mm-hmm. two dudes named Brendan James and uh, Noah Colwyn and the great Twitter follows these guys. Uh, they're funny. They, th- it's a well-produced podcast. Like I said, we're getting a ton of audio clips, you know, we're getting music hits. Um, we're getting, like narrative arcs episode to episode while still focusing some reenactments too. Yeah. Some of that. Yeah. We're just, but we're also laser focusing on like the subject at hand. Like they don't stray from it. Um, And like I said, they don't pull punches. It's one of those things where like we all, you know, us and I'd say most people we know are reasonably of the perspective that the Iraq war was a farce and like an insane and fucked up and corrupt or at the very least a horrible mistake. Yeah. But the, the picture that you get listening to these 10 episodes is so much darker than even, even like the darkest projection you could come up with. Every single step of this was, was wrong. And it's mostly on purpose wrong. Like it's, it's nuts. Yeah, it's I you are dead right that it is like it's very listenable despite yeah, kind, kind of, of how fun. Yeah, um, it is like something it, yeah, that it's really it's it's so impressive that they make it like it's like a movie about like a, a you know a war movie that manages to have fun. Like that it happens but in a podcast that is focusing so much on nonfiction and giving you nothing but facts that is really really impressive. There's a season 2 that came mm-hmm. out last year about the Cold War specifically involving Cuba. Um I haven't listened to it yet. Really want to. Excited. Okay. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask is if I, cause I also haven't had a chance. I have them like now the full season is out. So it's like just sitting there waiting for me to dive into it, but it's not, it can be very heavy and it will make you angry a yeah. lot of times when you're listening to it. Like I just like it pissed me off sometimes whenever I was listening to stuff. Cause it was just like it it's yeah, but it's great recommendation. It's uh blowback season one 
on the Iraq war. It's a podcast and it's Drew's number eight. Hunter, number eight. My number eight is just as serious, actually, crazy enough. Um, It just <clears throat> it has a little theme song. Zach Stone is yeah, going to be famous. famous. Zach oh, Stone. I, so technically, man, I fi- technically, I finished that. I finished the show this year, but I started it in 2021. So I'm including it on this list. Also, because I just want to talk about the show. Because did we not watch this when we lived? No, so, I watched it with you in like 2013 or 14. Okay, for I, sure. Me, I don't think I think that like I vaguely remember this show. Maybe it was on just at some point. Like I was like, oh yeah, Bo Burnham. He had an MTV show, but like I never actually really watched through it. Man, it is good. It's, it's fucking amazing. Fucking amazing. <laughs> it's insane. Now looking at the ratings for this show, do you guys know how many people? Yes, man. Like less you, than a mil. Oh no, way less. Yeah. yeah. So. Like the, nobody first, watched it. the first episode, six hundred and fifty thousand viewers. Yeah, hey, that's um, not bad. By episode five, it was less than half of that. Yeah. So there's just like a few hundred k people who are actually watching. It was this on. Show. Well, it was on MTV, right? Yeah. Uh, during in 2013. During yeah, so. during a, a pretty bleak era for MTV. Not that it's any better now, but like scripted content was not the right. focus there. This, it shouldn't have been on that fucking network. So. It is written. It is starring Bo Burnham. He is like just had it's, his it's own all fucking show. It's just all Bo. Yeah, he, it's a fucking TV show. And it's it's so and he's, good. And he's <laughs> like young as hell still. Mm, yeah, like this. It's what 2014, 2013. 2013? And he's on Film 2012. Fire. He's so, like, so he's young. Yeah, and he's owning the frame yeah every second he's really he's got like a special or two and then youtube videos at this point and he is destroying the show if uh another great watch i don't know if you have have seen yet but the the bloopers from this show oh no i haven't because it's literally yeah it's literally just uh bo burnham just setting everyone on fire like and everyone just trying to keep up you know it's crazy you can just i mean there's so much in this show like because the thing is like of course it's hilarious it's bo burnham but like there is kind of a really good story to it like that it is enough that keeps you engaged the basic premise for the show is that um zach stone just graduated from high school and he spent all of his high school uh working at this uh, working as a cashier at a grocery store and saving like thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars parents thinking they saving money for college um and then the summer after his graduation he hires a camera crew to follow him around because he wants to become the first pre-celebrity because all that he wants in life is to be famous he doesn't know what it's for time he has no Mm -hmm. talents whatsoever but like he in each episode is like uh zach stone is going to be an actor zach stone is going to be a singer like it just kind of jumps off of this like premise but while also like exploring his life um it can get like kind of sad at moments like you'd see uh there's one particular scene where you know he's like showing off for the camera and trying to do the whole like uh influencer like oh cool i'm like all extrovert and everything else like this and there's one scene where um they're going to a college party and they're just like zach just leave the cameras in the card like so it'll be just like you're like getting ready for next year and everything and then the camera crew because they each kind of develop their own personalities the three cameramen who are behind this who are also just fantastic but like it'll flash through and you can't can see just like the shy zach coming out like he's scared to talk to anybody mm-hmm. and there's moments like that all over the show where it's like it's it's it, it's, it has a lot more to say than even i was exactly. expecting yeah, it it's to. it's a brilliant show it's uh, because of the premise it's micro budget it's literally the cameras are the perspective of the cameras that are he's hiring to mm-hmm. follow him around <laughs> um so yeah it, it's mockumentary 
it, it owns really hard. I want to rewatch it. It's been years. Yeah, it's, it's on, on Netflix right yep. now. That's shout out to Netflix. That's the reason um, why I watched it because for it. years it just got lost. It was just like you it was on MTV.com and then it got taken down and then it was just like nowhere. Yeah, yeah. It just didn't. Paramount exist. Plus, where are you at? What's going on? <laughs> early, early Bo was a killer because I wasn't. I wasn't like necessarily the target audience of his YouTube stuff. I'm not, you know, I wasn't big into like his, his songs, um, pre pre specials or anything, but, uh, for example, right around then, maybe a little before he went on, uh, a show, I, I think it was an HBO show back then called the green room with Paul Provenza, which was, it was essentially Paul Provenza would just like gather up a ton of standups and have them talk in the, in the middle of a big pit of an audience. And Bo goes on, probably like age 20 maybe with uh ray romano mark Marin, gary shanling oh, wow and and he f- wins them over man like he he's so undeniably great like he they don't obviously mark Marin is the most jaded human to ever live he hates every stand-up especially successful ones and he bo like burns him in this like incredible way it, it's just like i don't know it's it's crazy to watch someone who is undeniable on every level yeah just so talented and yeah this show was so ahead of its time like just that idea of like trying to will yourself into fame and pointing a camera at yourself 24 7 like that's just something that is part of our culture now Mm. but you know almost 10 years ago when this show came out it was just like nobody gravitated towards this idea i was like wait what what is the show also kind of ahead of the time and like it's commenting on the the office parks and rec culture of the mockumentary style like mocking the mockumentary style right. before like something like what we do in the shadows or something like that where it's becoming like full satirical it, it kind of is a little bit even ahead of its time yeah, in that respect. exactly it's it's such a bummer i feel like this should have been on fx dude the way that the better. season ends is just like it makes me want a season two so yeah. bad it's it is like a complete he, thought though like it's only 12 yes, episodes yeah. but you don't feel like they didn't tell the story no, they, they wanted to tell. they do they tell it like wraps up and puts yeah. a bow perfectly on the how it ends and then like there's an event that happens in the closing moments of season one where you're just like oh shit like what else what would have been season two of the show i can only imagine hey maybe they could do like a 10 years later season two (laughs) bo is the least interested in revisiting his past of anyone ever i don't i don't think that's gonna happen i did want to shout out uh some other members because the cast is also like pretty good like Mm -hmm. i just of people that you've never seen before caitlin gerard gerard as amy dude amy yes so she's like the emotional core of that show yes um especially because so much of the show like hinders on the two of their uh like friendship their relationship with each other and yeah no she does so much because zach is like the most self-obsessed person in the world and so selfish and so oftentimes you are like the emotional heartbeat of the show isn't coming from the main character it's coming from all the peripheral characters um also shout out to uh carrie coleman who plays um his mom and uh thomas f wilson who plays dad dude biff Dude, Biff. Biff from from fucking Back to the Future is his dad. Yeah. And he's a sweetie. Yeah. I'm 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 telling y'all, supplementary 
viewing for this is get on YouTube and and watch the blooper reel. It's twenty minutes yeah. long. Um, it, like the ratio of good blooper to show is higher than any other show here because there's not any of the show. I also just remembered. Oh my God. No, I also do want to shout out uh, one other guy. Uh, it's Rory Scoville, who I've actually absolutely. Seen. Yeah. He's one of my favorite standups. Yeah, no. Um, he plays the manager at wow. the. I forgot he, he was plays in the it. manager at the grocery store. There's one scene in particular in one of the episodes where Bo is like, uh, he's trying to be like a chef. Um, and <laughs> so he's just like, all right, we're gonna invite like Amy and her boyfriend over, and we're gonna invite Pat over, and like, um, uh, his brother, um. Andy or uh, uh, I'm blanking on his brother's name, but uh, inviting his uh, yeah, Andy, yeah, yeah, inviting his like brother and his girlfriend over. His brother is like 15, 16, mind you, and Pat is just like hitting on his girl on his little brother's girlfriend the whole time. It's so funny, just like, so yeah, what do you think about this? This asparagus. <laughs> Rory is um, like, oh, I'll see. I'll see you later. <laughs> He's so funny. Rory doesn't quite fit neatly enough into a box to be like a superstar, but he he's that funny of a stand up. I've, I've I think I've recommended it before, but Rory Scovel does stand up for the first time is an hour long on Netflix. Uh, this is this is a big tangent, but like I, if I had seen it last year for the first time, it would be like number two on my list. It's that good. I also wanted to shout out that there's a scene uh in the episode where he i think it's the second episode where uh, zach stone is going to be a recording artist where he basically predicts tiktok where he's like (laughs) yeah he's like making these like 20 second songs yeah he's just he's (laughs) trying to make ringtones for him he's just like what if we just had just like the part of the song that you like and that's it and that's it (laughs) oh man so he's so fucking talented yeah. Um, really, listeners really thought they were going to go two weeks during Listomania yeah. without hearing Bo <laughs> Burnham talk, but unfortunately. Uh, Zach Stone is going to be famous is Hunter's number uh, eight, and it is available now on Netflix. So we're on to number seven. My number seven is a movie by a little guy named David Lynch. It okay. is Mulholland Drive. Oh, baby. Never heard of him. Um this movie is fucking insane. <laughs> I need to see it at least like four more times to truly like make up my mind about it. Um, and I think it would definitely go like rise up higher in these rankings if I had kind of given it more watches. I only watched it the one time and it just kind of like it leaves you in the space where you're just like like r- kind of horny, but kind of sad and kind of fucked <laughs> you feel up. icky after watching gross. it. And you're just like, what the hell is wrong with me? And that's a David Lynch movie for you. Yep. Um, and this is, you know, by all means, one of his most critically acclaimed. Um, it, it, it might be like his biggest movie other than uh, Blue Velvet. Mm-hmm. I think this might be bigger in terms of like kind of acclaim and and everything. Yeah, I mean, this was nominated for a ton of Oscars. And yeah. David Lynch should have won fucking best director. Yes. And I I don't know if I like it more than Blue Velvet because I fucking love Blue Velvet. But I think it is one of those that like you do just have to give it the multiple watches to really sink yourself into it. Stars Naomi Watts. It's about this girl who moves to L.A. to try to be an actress um our boy justin thoreau is in there mm-hmm. in the mix as a director holly big time hollywood director 
Um, and the movie just kind of spins you around. It's very disorienting. You know, that's kind of like the basic outline for the story and the plot. But there's just so many other things happening. There's like this other woman who's like in a car accident and she's like lost her mind and doesn't know who she is. And she develops this relationship with Naomi Watts. And it just kind of swirls you around to the point where you don't even know what's happening or what's real or what is there. There's these tangents where like the movie follows these characters that you don't even know who they are. And they just go on these extended monologues. And then by the end, you end up like you don't know how you got there, but you're in the middle of like one of the best scenes you've ever seen in your life, but you don't know how it connects to anything. There's this one moment where they go to this concert and it's, it's this incredible performance. Um, and you're told that it is all lip synced. It is all that she's not actually singing that she's just pretending to sing. And then even though you know that you want, you sit there watching the entire song and you're completely enthralled and moved by the performance, even though, you know, she's not actually singing and the movie just kind of plays with you in that way of like telling you that something is what it isn't. And then making you believe that it is that absolutely bonkers movie, fucking crazy still trying to wrap my head around it and and all of the things that it's trying to say and all of the things that it's trying to make you feel. Um, but it's, it's just one of those like special movies. <laughs> yeah. This, this oscillates between this and Eraserhead for my favorite David Lynch movie. I think I've seen, I've seen this movie probably more than Eraserhead just because it is something that just invites rewatching and reexamining. It's also another thing that you didn't touch on is that it's really, uh, like perverting the idea of the Hollywood dream. Yeah, about what it means moving to, to kind LA, of yeah to moving to it. LA and just like trying to be a star and um things not going as you hope that they would. Yes, but not even not making it in the way that you expect to not make yeah. it. Like there's there's a real coldness to this film. Oh, the way um, it descends. The last like thirty minutes are like so demented and twisted yeah. and disgusting. But like there is and I feel like that kind of people like that's the taste that gets left in your mouth that David Lynch wants you to sit with but also there is like some warmness to this movie too specifically in the performances really the way that Naomi Watts first appears in this movie as like just this bright eyed sunlight hitting her face just absolutely beautiful woman just trying to make it in this world and her relationship with uh, Laura Elena Herring who plays Rita um, is I just incredible absolutely love her I don't really ever haven't really ever seen her in anything else aside from um, Mulholland Drive but I just I can't recommend this movie enough to people like I, I just it is a David Lynch movie yeah so be you have to know what you're getting you're into get before you get up. into it but Hunter has in fact recommended this movie to me so much that I have refused to watch it for like the last decade of my and the life. thing is I know that you would love this movie more than I know. anything it's this really is, no David Lynch rocks it's not like a coheed situation where I really just don't like it you know like I like David Lynch um and as a guy like needless to say yeah do you guys know what the number of the day is today is it four no it's one. Oh, oh yeah good good going david wow. big day um 
<laughs> yeah. I by the so for people who don't know David Lynch, his uh, YouTube channel. every day on his YouTube channel, he will say what the weather is in Los Angeles. Um, and then he does a video where he draws a number from one to ten. <laughs> and there are people on the internet who have become so obsessive with it that they have like stats going. <laughs> and I just if you don't believe me, go in the YouTube comment section where there's like a person who has written out every number in order and is just like trying to crack a code that David yeah. Lynch is saying. It's just like number of days since number eight was drawn. And it's like <laughs> three weeks, and there's somebody just like, come on, number eight. <laughs> It's insane. This is, I love that he has a cult. I'm part yeah, of the cult. I'm fully indoctrinated. In. This is um. This is astrology for dudes. <laughs> this is <laughs> David Lynch saying a number. This is my day. shit. Um. Well, as as long as we're here and we're shouting out other David Lynch content, um. There's um. There's a video. I think it's called David Lynch cooks broccoli. Is it broccoli? <laughs> it's. I'm trying to look it up. It's he cooks something quinoa. Okay. Go on YouTube and look up David Lynch on cooking quinoa. It's 20 minutes. It starts out as cooking quinoa. And then he sits and smokes a cigarette and tells a story that is like a nightmare. And I just like, I just like ascended. Dude, he's, he's my hero. I just, I'm in love. I, I love this man more than anything in this earth. Um, yeah. He's immortal. I, I did want to actually mention because I, I, should have put this on my list and I just completely forgot that I watched it for the first time this year, but I actually watched a David Lynch movie for the first time this year. And that's a movie called the straight story, which for as dark and cold and distance as Mulholland drive can be at times, the straight story is the exact opposite of that. Um, this is a Disney produced film that is no made by way. David Lynch. It's uh, starring Richard Farnsworth it's a feature length film. Yeah. Oh my God. Richard Farnsworth, Sissy Spacek, Harry Dean Stanton. Um, of course, David Lynch makes an appearance as he is opt to do sometimes in his yeah. own films. Um, it's just really beautiful movie about uh, Richard Farnsworth, who's trying to reconnect with his uh, lost brother. He's like kind of reaching the end of his life and is trying to make a connection back with his brother. And so he journeys um, across state lines and he doesn't have a car. He doesn't have a driver's license, but what he does have his little tractor oh. and he just drives his little tractor. He doesn't have to the refill way. the tank. Um, well, he does. And he makes he meets some characters okay. along the way. It's a warm. It's a beautiful movie. It's on Disney Plus, And it did make me cry a lot while watching it. Also, I don't I, I don't want to spoil it either of your lists just in case but shout out to wild at heart too movie fucking rocks yeah that that movie was not so yeah yeah um also dune which you i didn't see dune but you saw it for the yeah. first time too right i saw dune yeah. it's a big david lynch. we don't dune isn't really a david lynch movie um just one one last thing about david lynch because he did the music for maholland drive he did the music for twin peaks straight story uh longtime music partner angelo Badalamente. yeah um, just probably in like my top three composers ever. Just absolutely this fucking man knows how to just make the most epic piano uh, chords that you've ever heard in your life. Just so moving. Mulholland Drive is my number seven. Drew, let's get to your number seven. Well, speaking of um, sort of like art house films, uh, mine's Face Off. Yo, <laughs> Fuck yeah. which I some I hadn't seen uh, somehow. It's it's a lot. It's better in every single way than what I had imagined it was. Um, John Woo, man. It, yeah, it is so 
it, it's one of those movies that is so aggressively big and dumb that it like it like circles back to being a 10 like yeah. it circles back to being truly an incredible movie because it's not trying Just through the looking it's, glass it's not trying to hide anything it's not it's not trying to like be something it's not it's like yeah this movie is fucking stupid and insane like this and it's also the best stupid insane movie i've ever seen in my life um probably like hardly even exaggerating uh so yeah it's cage uh and it's travolta i came out on the other end supremely impressed by travolta um because he he's he's pitching a speed that i didn't know he had in this movie uh, i don't really know if anyone knew that he had this he was you know he was sort of washed when this came out pulp fiction had revitalized him uh you know maybe like for what five years before uh aside from that he he doesn't have a ton of great movies under his belt uh or great performances and he's fucking incredible yeah. in this movie like he's so good it's not like it's not like a parodic performance not a performance that you're laughing at you're laughing with it because like i truly feel like he knows exactly how silly he's being in this movie everybody uh, does yeah everyone does yeah. it's a, it's a, just a dumb big fucking movie the action is just fucking absurd it's so big they never they never spare an explosion like it, it if you think that the action scene's about to end, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> not even close. There's going to be another couple of minutes. There's going to be like some sort of jet ski coming in somehow. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you're even near the ocean. <laughs> it, you will see like of, the worst stunt doubles you've ever yeah. seen in your entire life. And it's, it doesn't matter. It's set in like modern day at the time, uh, San Francisco, right? I think so. Is yeah. that it? Is it Bay Area or is it? I no, I might be I might be thinking of the rock there. Um it's set in mod it's set in the nineties. Yeah. And they go to a jail where everyone's feet are stuck to the ground with magnets. Yo. <laughs> So because because so cool. the initial script took place in fucking space in the future. And they were just like, you know what? No, we no, don't let's need, keep it. We let's don't need to explain ourselves. Prison. No, I don't give a shit. They just switch faces. It doesn't have yeah, to be they space. switch faces and you know, you know, bodies and like heights <laughs> and <laughs> penises. They just don't care because they know that you won't care because you're not watching it to to watch like high sci-fi. You're not reading a novel and you know, like sort of breaking down. Well, how how does respiration work in this part of the <laughs> like? No, it doesn't fucking matter. This is the dumbest. How fucking do you smoke movie a cigarette without lips? <laughs> Does it hurt? <laughs> no, don't worry. It's it just all so teeth. good. It's so good. It yeah. can be higher on my list. I. It's definitely. Uh, I, I've already seen it again. It's. Nice. It's one of the yes. more rewatchable movies I've ever seen in my whole yeah. life. Yeah, I. I made a rule for myself, which was to only put one Nick Cage film on there. Otherwise, I could have just put like Wild at Heart and Face Off, and uh, I could have just put a number of his movies. Moonstruck, yeah, Raising Arizona, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah man, I Face Off is perfect. It is. <laughs> you it's, listen it's, to our episode of it where it's like fawning over it. Yeah. It's so it's so <laughs> it fucking. Nuts. So Shout out to ass. Ray who was on that episode. Yeah, I it, wish I wish John Woo had done more of that. Mm -hmm. And not wind talkers. <laughs> and yeah, not, not naming names, but wind talkers sucks. Not to spoil dead. my number one. <laughs> yeah. Number one, just for like progressive films, just like important movies. Yeah, I learned a lot about uh, white man's pain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Face off is Drew's number seven. Hunter number seven. We're at we're at the hour mark, so we gotta we gotta pick up the pace here a little bit. Oh no, I figured this was gonna be like seven eight hours or so, <laughs> so we're right on track. Um, my number seven. 
I just want to talk about the band Sparks, guys. Let's just talk. Let's just sit for a minute and talk about Sparks because thanks to the workings of the great Edgar Wright, I discovered a new band that is now in my top 50 bands of all time. Nice. Um, and that, that was, I mean, that was Edgar's goal here. Yeah. Making this documentary. It was and uh, showing the thing people is, something I really, new. The reason why I initially proposed the idea of us bringing music and stuff in this is because I now am at this point of preparing for our top movies of the year. And like, I don't have space to fit the Sparks Brothers in that list. And I just want to talk and about net. Yeah. I want to talk about how important that movie is just because it introduced me to this band that I, for listeners who do not know, I highly, highly, highly recommend that you watch the Sparks brothers documentary. I'm going to go ahead and say, I haven't seen the documentary. I'm going to say probably watch it before you listen to the band, because I bet I would like the band more if I watched that first. Well, it does a good job of kind of guiding you. It's like it goes album by album. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah, it just like really holds because you. 25, I, now it, including the Annette soundtrack, 26 yeah, albums. Because I, I haven't been able to get like a grasp on the band. Um, but I bet if I watched this, I'd, I'd have a better understanding of it. So the thing is that they are a band that, I mean, their first album came out in 1971. Um, so they're now putting out music in five decades. They've had to reinvent themselves and reinvent themselves time and time again. So if you listen to Komodo My House, their third album, 1974, which is, uh, probably their most popular, uh, most successful album, that sounds drastically different from what they put out, uh, in 1979, produced by Giovanni Giorgio. And that sounds completely different from the album that they put out, uh, 2020, uh, Steady Drip, Drip, Drip. But, because of that, it's kind of they aren't a band that you can just go on Spotify and just hit shuffle like that might give you a little bit of sonic whiplash yeah. if you're just kind of Entirely listening to it like different that. Eras. Um, but they just they kick so much ass. Like if I was to recommend albums to people, I would say start with Kimono, My House and then uh, Propaganda, uh, the two films from 19 or the two albums from 1974. Um, another thing. God damn, were these guys prolific? They put out like an album a year for about 15 year stretch there where they're just putting stuff out. Not all of it hits in the same way that we talked about our albums of the year um, with something like Ty Seagal or King Gizzard. Yeah. But whenever they do hit, they're like just some of the best shit that you will listen to. And so drastically influential, like... um some of their stuff in the 70s goes on to inspire a ton of uh, UK rock of the late 70s and early 80s. Um, it's funny. They are two dudes, two brothers from Southern California, but they were far more successful in Europe than yeah. they ever were in the United States. Uh, funny enough. but Just like the Beatles. Yeah. By old my favorite Kansas um, uh, based from, band. Well, um, it's a, so this yeah. is this is the type um, of documentary that does need what um, Get Back doesn't, which is the which is like snippets of people talking about yeah. the band. Yeah, uh, the Beatles and, don't need that, but this band does need. It needs someone to explain to you like why this band is important. And the documentary does an incredible job of that, where they just bring in like, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think if there's some of them, I think it was like Europe and they brought in like a few like, uh, eighties, like, uh, Europe, 
pop kind of electronic groups that are just or Depeche Mode, and they're just like, yeah, no, we just stole our entire thing from Sparks. Like <laughs> we would we wouldn't exist yeah. if it wasn't yeah. for Sparks. Someone um, someone did a Twitter thread about uh, that was like, what if Get Back had that? Yeah, and it, did you see that thread? <laughs> it's one of the funniest threads I've ever seen. Where it's like it'll be like you know Simon Cowell, oh the Beatles, you know, <laughs> they, there's John, there's Paul, you know where I'm going with the rest. <laughs> Just like, um, just a couple other things about Sparks. I mentioned uh, another one of my favorite albums, number one in heaven. You get to hear from the immortal Giovanni Giorgio. You get to hear him say the synthesizer, uh, which <laughs> is just my favorite thing. I just want that man. I just want a recording of him playing saying synthesizer um, all the time. But that album made in 1979 is completely electronic. Not a single live instrument is used in that entire album, which is so, so far ahead of its time. That's yeah. like 10 years ahead of its fucking time. Yeah. Um, even their album that came out a couple years ago, uh, Steady Drip, Drip, Drip. I really enjoy that one a lot. Um, and then Annette, which I just recently saw for the first time, um, is a fascinating movie. It's kind of in a different year. If it was released at a different time, I could see it getting more of an awards push, but instead it came out in the summer and it got very, very mixed reviews. Some people hated it. Some people, if you look on letterbox, like I have everywhere. I think that I have people who I follow, just people I follow gave it between a 1.5 and then like five people gave it just five stars and just say like, this is the best movie of the year. So um, I ended up coming somewhere in the middle on it. Uh, Leos Carex. um, I've never seen any of his movies before, but he has a little bit of an avant-garde style. Uh, It's starring Adam Driver and uh, Maria Cotillard um, who do sing. They sing songs by Sparks. Sparks wrote the music and the film itself. Um, Aren't they in the movie? Yeah, they're in the movie. They play a variety of characters in the story. (laughs) It's so fun (laughs) just seeing them in there. They're just like, they're kind of enigmas. Like, it's kind of insane, like, who these people are. But they're fascinating, fascinating people. And their music is incredible and i love that awesome i'm so glad sparks is on your list at number seven so now we're on to number six and you know we said this last year for this episode and i'm gonna say it this year too because i didn't say it at the top but this is an opportunity to come clean on movies that are so absorbed into the culture that you feel like you've seen them but then you got to give yourself that opportunity to mm. be like, I'm going to sit down and actually watch this for the first time. You finally saw Ratatouille, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Training day, baby. Yeah. Oh, my God. I just saw this for the first time this year, too. Denzel. I completely forgot to put it on the list. I I, I I talked about this like in the early pod days. Yeah. Um, This movie rocks like harder than it has any right to rock. Yeah. It, it, it rocks harder. It, it, it rocks. It's different than a Michael Mann movie, but like. It's it has so much shared DNA and yeah, like it's trying to be that, that well, the, kind of well the thing is also Michael Mann is can be very understated on purpose and this movie goes balls out a lot more like this movie takes its nuts out I mean yeah it you just you sit down for about two hours and you just get your shit fucking rocked yeah by Denzel just Denzel, going it off. is it's one of the best movie star performances I've seen in my life like top five and that's not exaggerating and he where, won an Oscar for yeah it. and he mm. yeah and it's that's a rare thing we're like that is the best performance of that year and and he did it and Ethan Hawke by the way is 
the best backup you could ask for. Yeah. Because you need someone who is, can capably act alongside him, but is not going to steal the thunder. And, and that's it, exactly is, what Ethan Hawke And is also going to spotlight how like unleashed this man is. So essentially, this is this is pretty much like uh you know kind of your staple like crooked cop movie yeah denzel is just kind of like really really playing fast and loose with the yeah. ethics and morals and rules of how you should be a cop but and, and then you kind of you kind of have to be that's that's kind of what the movie is trying to make you think about is like when you're like this this guy who's like a narcotics detective trying to find like bad guys who are like selling drugs to kids and shit like you kind of have to be a little bit fucking gray yeah, area it does, with it. It's like it doesn't vilify the idea of doing that, but it does vilify like when he goes too far. Right. Because, no, yeah. Because, by the end of the movie, it, yeah. you're definitely not on board <laughs> with Denzel. <laughs> yeah. But like you are just for so much of it, you were just like, yeah, no, no, no. Like, yeah, let's go. Let's, yeah. let's fucking is there go. Anything like, no, it's actually good that he's dropping him off here at this house. Like there's nothing, <laughs> there's nothing wrong that could happen here. It Denzel. Yeah. Yeah. Let's smoke PCP on the job. Like that's something that you just do. Like, <laughs> like I can't name anyone else who could even come close to giving this performance. Like it's replace him with any, even like great actors. Like Will Smith was on fire around then. He couldn't do yep. this shit. Will Smith me? was nominated for, for best actor this year for a Michael Mann movie in <laughs> Ali. Yeah, but he like this is just this is not replicable what he's doing yeah. in this movie. It, it's so fucking captivating. Yeah, it's fireworks. It's yeah. it's lightning in a bottle. I mean, he just goes off and to have it be encapsulated in this role like this is just a once in a lifetime role for him. Um, you just you love to fucking see it, man. Um, shout out to Scott Glenn too our guy and uh snoop dog who is in a wheelchair in this movie and <laughs> did nothing wrong he did nothing wrong yeah he did not deserve what denzel we, did to him dr dre kind of right. bad in this um, movie oh terrible. yeah he's awful bad actor. really bad actor i just noticed we've talked a lot about 2001 products Mulholland drive oh yeah um, <laughs> blowback podcast <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're like really just feeling nostalgic for 2001 huh yeah. guys my number one shrek <laughs> <laughs> hadn't checked it out <laughs> so training day is my number six drew let's get to your number six uh i already talked about it last year but it's the watermelon woman um oh wow okay. by, by cheryl dunier i've 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 just thought about it a ton since watching it and how like I said back then, there the flaws in this movie are in the fact that it is micro micro budget. Um, it's I think it might be Cheryl's at least feature length debut. Um, she's gone on to do other like sort you know sort of like self reflective, uh, docu based like you know fiction nonfiction mixed stuff. This is this is just like unreal good. And watching it, like I said back then, you'd think that this was like her do the right thing this is the movie that put like a seminal filmmaker on the map and her career didn't quite play out that way i don't know if it's by her choice or by the fact that she is uh a gay black woman yeah you know what i mean mm. you'd imagine that might get in Hollywood the way ain't too kind unfortunately um, and th yeah. that's what this story is about it's about you know, she's playing a character named cheryl um who like works at a video store and is trying to figure out dating she ends up dating guinevere turner who uh it, and went on to like write american psycho like an incredible like a very very influential uh figure in queer cinema who who ended up making the the leap to like very mainstream stuff 
uh it's it's just like a really crazy mishmash of shit in this movie like it has like like i said a do the right thing feel it has like almost like a clerksy feel where like every now and then someone will come in for a scene and you're like that is not an actor <laughs> like <laughs> that person is not never acted again after this um and but yet it's it's not just charming it's like it has some ridiculously thoughtful elements to it um i don't want to spoil too much but it's so it's this character we get we get scenes of her straight talking like to camera saying like oh yeah i'm i'm cheryl this is a movie i'm making and yet it's her the character cheryl talking about a movie she's making it there's a lot of really ahead of its time sort of meta text there um and it's about her character sort of getting lost in this uh in this like project she's put upon herself to find out about the past of this black actress from like way back when who was only known as the watermelon woman and i don't i don't want to spoil where it goes with that but there's there's sort of a turn at the end that is predictable for some but not for others i honestly i was so like lost in this that i did not see it coming and i was like oh wow this is this is incredible um it's it's just a great great thoughtful movie that also has like a very light airy feel to it um it i think you can get it if you have showtime yeah that's what i was about to say it is on showtime it's also on canopy yeah canopy you can also like just i think you can rent it yeah you know on like apple or whatever but it's it's well worth watching it's it's a really important movie in queer cinema and it also it it just it has a feel to it where like like you know the first time i watched like do the right thing or clerks where it's like oh this is like someone who is mm. this is like a uh, a singular talent mm-hmm. and a very a bright young, bright new very talent. very early stage of her life as well like it's it's really impressive because on screen she's captivating too she's like in her 20s in this i'm pretty wow. sure and she's like really like you just love her like cool cool movie the watermelon woman number six for drew Nice. Hunter, hit us with your number six. Uh, my number six, I want to save uh, for a little bit. I, I want to talk about it more in depth whenever it actually finishes wrapping up. But uh, 2021 led me to get really into the show Attack on Titan, um, which is and not only that, it actually kind of uh, sparked it re-sparked uh, a si- an anime side of me that had been lost. It had been dormant for many years. It awoke this side of me. Um, this show is fucking incredible. It's so well done. Um, it is wrapping up part two of its final season right now. So once it is finished, I want to have the fellow weebs, uh, Nate and Dave, back on the podcast for us to do oh, hell yeah. a spoiler anime talk about the show. I'm, I'm um, busy that week. No, Drew. I I actually we already booked you in. We we figured you could catch back. You up. already you already paid me through my yeah. agent. Yeah, <laughs> right, I guess we, I we already took here. care of it. Um, <laughs> no. So the thing is, uh, the show gets some shit from like hardcore anime heads because it's like, oh, it's like popular and it's normie <laughs> it's anime. <fire. laughs> It's normie anime and shit like that. It's like, yeah, it's po- it's normie anime because it's like really fucking well done. It's yeah. really. It, it's not too complicated, which is something that some anime, I mean, I like some anime, but it's, it can be definitely a deterrent for a lot of people. That's uh, one of the things that can be a high bar, uh, a high barrier of entry for a lot of people who are not super into the genre. And I think that this is very accessible as far as animes go. 
once you can get past the fact that this is a very very gory show like there is a lot of bloodshed uh in this for people who don't know who haven't seen people uh walking around with the brown jackets with the little wings on their back that they got from um uh uh lunch yeah and, and uh what are those like metallic like slingshot things that they use the, are you talking about, like how they like the zip swinging, around, yeah, like, yeah. zip around the the towns and yeah. everything like that, all the buildings? Yeah. Um, no, I was talking about like just what you see in real life. Um, unfortunately, that technology I have not seen it yet. But man, <laughs> I could if I could just like zip around downtown, that'd be great. Um, it is about uh, these giant creatures named Titans that uh, basically came towards human civilization and caused. Uh, an absolute chaos it led to uh society having to build these giant hundred meter walls to try and keep out these giant uh human eating titans uh that's the jump off of where the show goes i kind of hesitate to go too much more into it because the show like leaves that premise uh very early on um a lot of the show is just centering around a core three characters. Eren Yeager. Eren Yeager. Um, centering around like a core three character of uh, Eren, of course, Mikasa and uh, Mikasa! Um, and Armin. Um, and kind of a lot of the show is following them, trying to get back to Eren's home because Eren's father had some big secret that he kept in his basement and they're trying to journey back through the walls, get past all these Titans, kill all the Titans, everything to get back uh, to uncover what the secret is that could help save the human civilization. That's the basic premise of the show. Now that we are in the final season, we've like left that. That's like, feels like another show from now. It's, it's kind it's of gone off the deep end or fourth, uh, fourth season. Okay. Um, but it's really watchable is the thing about the show. There isn't really, a lot of filler uh, throughout this, which is another thing that animes can have a tendency to do, where it's just like, oh, dude, it's great. You just have to watch like the 22 uh, episodes of this one battle sequence that happens. Um, looking at you, Dragon Ball Z, mm-hmm. or even some of the lesser parts Naruto. of Naruto. Um, yeah, this is a great show. I want to talk about it more in a spoiler setting. Once but it wraps up. Yeah. Um, for where the weebs at out here. It's Attack on Titan. It's Hunter's number six. Speaking of anime, oh, my number five is a movie called Akira. Oh, my God. Oh, I knew you hadn't seen this before. I got Dude. a chance to see Akira Oof. 1988 on the big screen at the, our local big screen. Uh, NZN um, art house theater. And holy fuck, what a way to experience this movie for the first time. This movie is fucking mind-blowing it takes place in like a future tokyo that's been wiped out by uh this huge like basically a nuclear bomb really dealing with like kind of the the hiroshima of it all um but but taking taking it in this direction where it becomes like this really twisted like post uh kind of apocalyptic dystopian uh police state um, and sort of these these bandits that are riding around doing their thing uh, and these fucking awesome motorcycles and fucking jackets like the red jacket is just iconic that uh, our main guy wears um, 
we got uh, Tetsuo and Kanata are the two main guys. And where these stories go are just bonkers. Lots of body horror. The animation is fucking Mm. nuts. How it just kind of takes over and it fuses like mechanical technology with biology and Mm -hmm. organs and like some of the most insane imagery I've ever seen depicted and just kind of a really twisted, heady story about, um, you know, like, like, uh, you know, this, this take on like superpower beings and, and our connection to technology and how this, uh, you know, biological mechanical connection can be sort of the superpower really ahead of its time, 1988, you know, and now we live in a world where like, we're connected to devices all the time. Really, really cool movie fucking loved it um it's akira 1988 yep. uh it's you kind of hit the nail right on the head talking about, like it really kind of is wrestling with the anxieties of like a post hiroshima post nagasaki yeah. uh tokyo or post hiroshima nagasaki japan and what that would mean if it were to happen again and be much much worse yeah um yeah. it's one of the most beautiful movies ever yeah. it's, it's and the bonkers. sound design is fucking immaculate Ding! <laughs> like it just like it runs through throughout the movie is it's it also i will say it invites like multiple multiple oh, rewatches because it's like it. three movies in yeah. one with all everything that's happening and getting thrown at you it's my number five it's kira drew number five what's your anime recommendation drew i got one for you um it's called it translates roughly to king of the hill <laughs> <laughs> animation this is uh my top five have all sort of just become like core things that i'm going to return to for like years and years and king of the hills is a show that i had seen plenty of peripherally throughout my life you know it aired on fox our entire lives uh along with like more popular shows for kids like family guy um king of the hills like unfucking believably funny like it's not (laughs) It's not just like, oh, like it's, it's, you know, it's like a weird, like funny. No, 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 no. King of the Hill might be Mike Judge's best work. Um, And he's a man who's made a lot of great work and continues to. But it's I think so much of it comes down to, you know, I've already gotten into how a lot of it comes down to the voice acting, which is like it's like bonkers good. Um, Mike himself as Hank gets so many laughs out of lines that are not funny in in and of themselves like uh, it's sort of like the craziest ratio i've ever seen in in voice acting before where he the lines are mids and he is pulling humor out of them because he understands the character and the line and you know the setting of the show better than anyone um he's like an insane talent of, of voice acting alone and then uh, animation style is huge to me in this show because we were talking about like like we were talking about how Invincible uh, almost looks a little similar to King of the Hill mm-hmm. in, a, in a lot of ways. Like it's very, very lo-fi 2D um, low frame rate stuff. It it suits this show so fucking well because uh like i like i said last time we talked about it this is of any cartoon this is the one that would the most easily be able to make the transfer to being a real show like just having real actors and being in a real setting because there is nothing cartoonish going on here it's literally just people (laughs) living very normal texan lives 
uh, in like a family suburban setting. And yet the fact that it's even flatter than that makes it funnier. Like if, if there were real people playing this and real cameras shooting it, you wouldn't be able to get the lack of dimension that you have here. And that makes this show a lot funnier. Like it plays up the show and in the, in a way that I feel like I've, I've never liked this animation style before in any other setting because this show, the humor of this show is lo-fi. It's, it's about how flat it is. (laughs) You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like the, the silence and the stillness of the show is more silent and more still than real life could possibly be. Even if you were to shoot it as flat as you could. Um, so it's, it's a lot of things just working together to create like, like if you were to like the whiplash of going from something like fucking big mouth or whatever to watching this, it would make you feel like you're watching like a Tarkovsky movie. <laughs> like it's like slow cinema compared to that because it, this is such a down the middle, like standard sitcom but, but then it betrays that by being even more down the middle and more standard. Mm-hmm. It, it's so, I don't know. It's so universally good. Like it's so impressive how they pulled off such a down the middle show uh, that I don't know. I it's, it's sort of, it's an achievement beyond what it's ever going to get credit for. Did you hear they're, they're bringing it back? What? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Is Mike behind it? Yeah. Mike and Greg. Mike uh, Judge and Greg Daniels. Yeah, yeah, I gotta say, Greg Daniels yeah. also. The, well, I don't like that because they also are working together on like twenty different. Like, uh, some news just dropped that they're they're producing like a billion animated shows this year, and uh, that's actually not great news. Yeah, I, <laughs> because that means they're not fully producing a single show yeah. this year. You know what I mean? Um, that said, this this show is just it's it's completely one of a kind uh it's i don't know it, it's sort of like it's pg-13 it's not lewd uh it's just funny it's just it's just a funny like yeah. weird fucking show good hang yeah it's a great hang it was yeah. also on your list great last hank year. no it wasn't yes it was no um it was your number it was queen of the hill it was, was your number seven year. Okay. So it's moved up. So yeah. <laughs> the episodes I watched this year were better. <laughs> Have you seen the whole show at this point? You Probably. It, it's you can just put it on. Yeah. Um the I think I I brought this up last year, but Hank would have voted for Joe Biden. Hank voted for Joe Biden, right? You know, that's a good question. We yeah, we did talk about this. We did. <laughs> this is now coming back to me that we definitely did this song. Um, I, yeah, yeah, I thought I had just brought I this think up that like he's early just like, into this year. That's not. I guess, you know, Trump what if, is not the America that I stand yeah, for. Exactly. He might have voted for Trump back in 2016, right, but right. not in 2020. Exactly. That's what I mean. He was a flip. He was a flip. Vote. Yeah, that, that's what I mean. It's it's for 2020. But the the other guy, the crazy guy, what's oh, his yeah, name? Dale oh, Gribble. Oh, Hank, he oh. he voted Trump twice for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, he was at the insurrection. <laughs> but like he didn't mean to be there he just like stumbled into the he was like he was planning on breaking into the capital that day <laughs> yeah. he's just like wait just you guys want to join <laughs> yeah. all right king of the hill uh is drew's number five hunter number five uh my number five we're gonna stick in the animation realm here and i want to talk about a guy who we've talked about briefly on the show before but a uh, mr don hertzfeld yeah um so specifically the world of tomorrow trilogy um 
For those who don't know, Don Hertzfeld made a movie back in 2014, I believe, uh, called um, The World is Such a Beautiful Place. That is uh, one of the most it's, emotionally affecting... It's such a beautiful day. It's such a beautiful play. Yeah. It's such a beautiful day. Sorry. I'm like looking at two different things that he made and merged them together. Um, yeah. It's such a beautiful day. Uh, it's very stripped down. Uh, his animation style is essentially stick figures. Um and just talking about lo-fi, low animation, this is about as minimalist as you can possibly get with animation style. But he is so good at crafting stories that are emotionally effective using just literal stick people. Um, and it's such a beautiful day. It's telling the story of someone suffering from schizophrenia and just kind of mental illness in general. And the way that it is illustrated is really really beautiful and really affecting uh world of tomorrow is a lot more sci-fi in its premise have you guys ever seen any of these nope. okay highly highly recommend them um it's starts telling the story of um of a little girl named um uh emily that's why i just wanted to double check um and episode one starts with little girl emily she's just playing with her toys and everything and all the audio for emily is actually just don just recorded uh his niece just like nice. playing uh it's just like we're just going to incorporate what you're saying and doing into the story that i'm making here um so it's this little girl playing and then uh, Emily three, I believe it is the clone of Emily, th the third generation clone of Emily comes to visit her and takes her through and describes this world where cloning is coming to exist uh, as and time travel is happening in the world and the world is about to end. And essentially she wanted to travel back to Emily prime because there's one memory of that Emily has that she could not remember anymore. And she wanted to get this memory from her. Um, the story then kind of jumps off from there in episode two and episode three to go more into this Emily character, including how she fell in love with the first clone to ever exist. This man named David, um, who got cloned and cloned to the point where his body started, his mind started deteriorating and he just basically became a shell body of a person. Jesus. Um, it's Don Hertzfeld. Shit gets kind of heavy. Um, but it episode three, I think, uh, might have been my favorite. The one that came out uh, two years ago, I believe, in 2020. Um, and that goes just purely into the story of David. Um, that he is told via time travel message that uh, there's this woman, Emily, who he loves and he's trying to capture these memories to remember her because he cannot remember her anymore. But he has to like delete space from his mind in order to capture this memory that he's creating. And by deleting space in his mind, he's like losing the ability to do basic human body functions. Um really sad but also just really deeply profound um there's a whole bunch of other like kind of sci-fi stuff that happens like they get into these basic secret agents that if you go through time travel and you mess with the fabric of time there are these agents that can travel in between time and can do secret assassinations of people where you'll so just loki, drop dead loki ripped off of yes. don hurts yes absolutely <laughs> um it's it's incredible um, because it's Don Hertzfeld and he uh, completely writes, directs, produces, animates 
everything. He is the sole creator of his products. Um, some of his work can be kind of difficult to watch. I know I bought all three of them off of Vimeo. Yeah, that's um, what I'm looking at right now. I think that's the best bet. He also just put out a Blu-ray. Yes. So you can also just get the uh, Blu-ray. Yeah, because a Kickstarter, I think he raised like a lot of money. So he's just like, yeah, fuck it. I'll make my shit on Blu-ray. Um, but yeah, no, I'm fully in the back for Don Hertzfeld for whatever he does. Uh, if you can make stick figures be profound and emotionally affecting, then uh, that's like some of the highest praise that I can possibly give someone. Yeah. So uh, here's your Marvel movie, Don Hertzfeld. Yeah, there you go. Have fun. Uh, so specifically <laughs> the World of Tomorrow trilogy, right? Yes. Yep. Okay. Is Hunter's number five. So now we're at number four, top four. My number four is Brian De Palma's Carrie Oof. from 1976. Banger. Hell yeah. This is where I start to get into like the the things that like melted my brain off like this movie blew my mind i mean obviously like again this is one of those movies it's just like absorbed into the culture and you know it's the movie with the girl that gets the pig's blood dropped on her and at prom like everybody knows that but it is so much more than that it is a terrifying unsettling portrait of like female adolescence and that time of in high school when girls are becoming women and having their periods for the first time and like learning about an entire world of experiences and emotions that they hadn't before. And it turns that into a horror movie, that experience and the 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 high school drama of it all too, the the terror that other girls can instill in you and 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 bully you and subjugate you and judge you. He turns all of that into like this incredibly effective horror movie. And then and that's not all. It also plays with religion and Christianity and blind faith and and the the mom character, like the fact that she's like sheltered Carrie her whole life without letting her experience anything outside of like the bounds of their very, very sheltered home. And it turns that into a horror movie, too, and how you can be like, you know, in this this very cocooned shell and and then be exposed to the world and be terrified by it um it's an incredibly well-made movie super super effective so unsettling and terrifying and just some of the best acting you'll see like everybody is fucking incredible um i want to shout out the the main girl because she is just stunning sissy Sissy spacek spacek just Mm. all-time great performance yep. went on to have like I, an awesome career yeah. she she Sissy Spacek is the best she's in the straight story that i mentioned earlier um also god shout out piper laurie plays the mother Oof. um one terrifying. of the most like one of the most horrifying performances that you will ever see yeah um the movie just also looks amazing like oh, yeah. the palma just shoots the hell out of it like there's these amazing long takes uh, again it's it's just shot on film because it's the 70s of course so it just has like this beautiful texture to it um, the whole prom sequence at the end is just like an all time great sequence that everything leading up to like the famous you know moment is just so, so good. A lot of great tension, a lot of great just like, you know, kind of tenderness along with the unsettling vibe. So, yeah, just right up there with like one of the best movies I've ever seen ever. Just mm. masterpiece. Yeah. Carrie. Perfect. 1976. Yep. Also gay canon. 
I guess so. Yeah. Very, very much so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's my number four, Drew. Number four. Uh, first thing we might have to wait on, Vampire's Kiss. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to have to wait on that one. <laughs> Shoot. The first, yeah. Shoot. Um, we can talk about, uh, I, I cheated again on here. I have a tie for my number four. Okay. Um, and Good. I we, put we this actually, on We here. need a little more time, so I, <laughs> do both. Well, yeah, I, I'm combining this so that it's not taking up two different spots, because I didn't want to come on here and just be like, yes, I I got really into French New Wave cinema this past year, and just talk about that, because that would have been obnoxious and not great podcast listening. But just want to talk about two filmmakers who I just discovered their work last year, and that's Jean-Luc Godard and Agnes Varda. Um, specifically talking about Breathless and Cleo from 5 to 7. Um, have either of you guys ever watched either of these movies? Or? I uh, Yeah, I took a, a French New Wave class in college, and yeah. we watched I, everything. I much. gave myself a French New Wave class and just pocketed the couple grand, um, so that was just me, yeah. how I went Smart. about it. Um, <laughs> shout out to uh, Criterion Channel and HBO Max, where like so many of these films are on there. Um Breathless is kind of a like a, almost a Bonnie and Clyde type of story, like a twisted version of that. Uh, it's a movie that was banned for many years uh, just because they kill a cop in it. Um, it. But it's kind of like this complicated romance that is, uh, of course, there's a murder that happens of a cop very early on. So kind of like trying to escape, get out of town. Um but this fiery romance that the two of them have is absolutely beautiful. But even more than that, a movie uh, that became like one of my favorite movies ever is Cleo from five to seven. Um, I had never seen this movie, of course, before, but it's funny after watching this movie, I'm like, oh, this is the reason for like so many of my favorite movies ever that are just all tone, all vibe. Um, the basic premise of this movie is that um, the main actress played by uh, uh, Corrine Marchand, who plays Cleo, uh, is awaiting test results to find out if she has cancer or not. Um, so she has to wait until the end of the day. And she's basically just trying to exist and live her life not knowing whether or not she has cancer or not. And so she's trying to do her best to just exist as a person, but having this weight weighing over her to know like if she is going to be okay or not. Um, and it is just full vibe, full tone. Cleo from I've seen this. Oh, you have? Yeah. It's it's fucking great. Yeah, it's it's it is a minute by it's 90 minutes long and it's literally it's a minute by minute breakdown yeah, of more just from, this more like a life. Cleo from 5 or 6:30. Yeah. <laughs> um speaking of Jean-Luc Godard with Breathless, he is in this film. He makes an extended cameo in this movie. Um it kicks so much ass like it is it's just again it's all tone it's all vibe all just, city it's all yeah it just makes me want to fucking drop everything and move to Paris. 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 it does yeah and it's it's so much um just like pure city shots at least in cleo it, it owns hard yeah it's uh it's 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 just stunning i really really love this so we have our, our first tie 
Uh, maybe our first tie ever, ever in any of these list episodes. Oh, look, if there's if you're going to object to a tie, that's fine. I'm not I'll, just, I'll just I'm put just, Cleo on there. I'm just I'm just pointing out the fact that it's it's the first tie. You know, it's a big deal um, <laughs> with Breathless and Cleo. I, from Fox I had a tie with Interstellar and okay. Electroma. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. you're actually I'm the just... second tie ever <laughs> <laughs> in the history of these. Lists. The first list with two ties yeah. on it ever. Yeah, a lot yeah. of firsts. Well, I, I guess the World of Tomorrow trilogy also that's, a tie. That's, yeah, that's the Sparks good. albums. <laughs> all the please don't destroy sketches. Yeah. It's all yeah. ties. Yeah, it's just, it's <laughs> this is your ties of the year. <laughs> Wait till you see my number one. It's just cinema. Just good job movies. Yeah. All right. Uh, that's Hunter's four. So now we're top three. All right. My top Ooh. three is a film by a filmmaker who showed up in last year's list on multiple spots. Uh, a, a guy by the name of uh, Hayao Miyazaki. And a film called Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. Ooh. This movie is kind of one of the more underrated Miyazaki movies. Um, doesn't get as much play as the big hitters like Totoro or Mononoke. Is it newer? No, it's one of his first it's ones. older. Yeah. So this is 1984. Oh, wow. Um, so I think this might have been maybe like the, the second or third or something like that. Of the entire um, Ghibli canon. Um, but man, this movie blew me away. Holy shit. Obviously, the the animation is absolutely stunning, you know, but that's kind of a given with uh, with Miyazaki. Um, but yeah, I mean, this thing just left me floored. I, I think that, you know, obviously, like Mononoke is kind of my probably my favorite um, Miyazaki movie, but, you know, loving that movie and, and and pulling all of like kind of the environmentalist themes from that. I just went into this one with that in mind. And even though this movie came out before Mononoke, um, it, it is like a precursor to all of those same ideas of like living among nature and appreciating nature and respecting and fearing nature. And like this, this, this love for it and, and, and um, the, the power that it can create and destroy life and all of those things. And also same with Mononoke, the industrialism that can encroach mm -hmm. into nature and, and take away its, its, its source of, of power and beauty. Um, and uh, this is also a little bit of a war movie too. It's, it's doing a lot of different things and it's combining a lot of different aesthetics as well. Like the creative design of the world is really fascinating. Like the imagery combines uh, like the hard sci-fi of Dune. Cause you, there is like stretches of desert and like kind of worm like beetle creatures, like enormous insect like creatures that roam the desert. Um, but also their outfits are kind of like medieval uh, outfits. Like there's like knights in like armor and there's also like world war two kind of imagery too with like tanks and shit like that and also like some kind of like colonial iconography as well with like muskets and shit like that so it's, it's just kind of like this hodgepodge of a lot of different kind of eras and it all blends together really really well like it you're sold on this world really well um and this pretty much princess that is trying to save 
her land from like this toxicity that is burrowing itself in nature and like killing all of the 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 insects and and to the point where like they can't they literally can't breathe the air of this forest because it is toxic because of the 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 ecological system just being so gone you know health wise um there's a lot more in there in, in in terms of the plot and like all of the different factions that are fighting each other but i just love this thread in miyazaki's work of like not only giving you these amazing singular looking movies but also like incorporating these themes of environmentalism and industrialism and like the tug of war between the two on like anything else I've ever seen. It's just, he just makes movies on like anybody else. And every time I watch one of them for the first time, it just automatically like one of the best movies I've ever seen. Um, I think this might be the only um, Miyazaki film that I have not seen. Cannot recommend it. Yeah, I, I, I need to. Yeah. I mean, obviously, like, I'm sure there's people out there that probably put it lower in their rankings, you know, just because like in their first time experience rankings. <laughs> no, in, in the in the in the Ghibli canon, you know, because there's all these other movies that just get like, you know, all of the attention. Like, But I mean, I haven't seen a lot of his canon, too. So I'm just kind of like slowly diving into it. Mm. Um, it is uh, like. There's kind of like whatever your flavor is for uh, Miyazaki. That's kind of the beautiful thing about him is that he has kind of those films that are more adult driven, like something like it sounds like Nausicaa is or um, Miyaz- or um, uh, Princess Mononoke. Yeah. And then there's like the more kid friendly ones like Totoro yeah. or even Ponyo. Um, and then there's kind of those Ponyo, that ride Ponyo, a line Ponyo, in between Ponyo. something like Spirited Away or what have you. So. Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind is my number three. Drew, number three. Survivor. All of Survivor. Yeah, except for season 41, which is does not qualify. Yeah. Because <laughs> it came it out last count. year. Um, yes. It, I watched more of this than anything else this year. Um, it it owns... We've talked so much about it. We don't need to say much more. I'll say the only reason it's not higher is because every season is so cast dependent mm-hmm. that I, I am starting to feel the fact that I've burned through a lot of the best stuff already. And yeah. it's kind of downhill from here. Gotcha. Um, that's also why like, like there, there's a lot of charm to the earlier seasons, but it almost reminds me of watching like, like basketball in like the early two thousands or, or something where like the highlights were are, from back then are incredible. Cause there's like high flyers, but watching a full game back then was a fucking slog because they didn't know how to space the floor yet and like shoot threes uh that's what it's like watching old survivor where it's like wow you guys just aren't even thinking about strategy right now are you like they're just full episodes going by where you're just you're thinking about getting a fish you know um that said i've said all the positive things i have to say about the show in the last few episodes it rocks hard survivor uh jeff probes please stand up take a lap what <laughs> you, you you take a lap d- yeah <laughs> a what? victory lap oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. hey, you're like like yelling at him like he like acted Jeff up Probst, in class like, get up and take a lap take a lap <laughs> like how you like do if like somebody's like talking to somebody else like during practice or something i don't know um number three my number three and this is another tie between about 25 movies. Um, oh, no. I want to talk about Godzilla. I Hey, 
Save it. Oh, uh, oh shit. Fuck yeah. yeah. 19, Let's go. 1954 Godzilla, right? Not 2000. No, <laughs> Not I'm talking I'm talking about the Nolan Emmerich yeah. uh, Godzilla. Yeah. No, okay, dude. cool. Yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, it's on my list in just a bit. Actually, that means uh, it has to be either right now or yeah yeah yeah. no we're number two we're (laughs) number two yeah yeah yeah. so this is this is my number two i'll also in the spirit of godzilla versus kong shout out to uh to king kong 1933 so did you watch that for the first time as well okay so i i have seen the original godzilla before the original godzilla perfect movie um might be like even higher than number three on my list if i was just viewing that movie on its own but specifically want to shout out a little gift that I got for myself this year, which is the Criterion Spine Number 1000, the Godzilla Showa era collection. Oof. Um, How many movies? It's like a dozen movies. Um, It is, I believe, like closer to like 18. Oh, wow. Um, It's a ton of movies on there, um, including some films that like just have never been seen in America before or have never been printed into any kind of physical media form. Um, it's 15 movies. 15. There From you go. From 1954 to 1960. 75 but that doesn't include like uh there is so like for example there's two versions of king kong versus godzilla on there there's the american version and the japanese version um let me tell you right now the original japanese version is number three in my power rankings of godzilla and king kong movies because i have a letterbox list called godzilla versus kong um that is just a ranking of all of the movies um the Japanese version is incredible. And then some like fucking American piece of shit named Thomas Montgomery was just like, I'm going to like add in like some American subplots to this. And like, just like, I mean, we're just going to like take like the Japanese subplots that are happening here. And we're just going to like very do like the worst uh, English dubbing that you've ever heard in your entire life over this. Oh, so they um, keep the same footage. For the most part, yes. But they just insert entirely different yeah, dialogue. It's it's awful. It's really bad. I don't recommend that one, but I do recommend the um the original uh Japanese film. Mostly I just want to talk about my guy Ishiro Honda though, uh, who is really the godfather for Godzilla and uh for all of these Godzilla movies, especially for the Showa era. Um like he revitalized the monster genre which was i mean of course there's like the universal monsters of the uh, oh, yeah. 20s and I mean, 30s th- this is a whole different kind of monster yes no yeah. he act he completely creates this new genre of monster and it's wild where this went to given the humble beginnings of godzilla which you can speak more on but like godzilla is the original film is like uh again gripping with post-nuclear war japan and what that means for the future it has a lot to say about environmentalism and has a lot to say about um just kind of where humanity is heading and then it just becomes like beat them up movies (laughs) well (laughs) it's it's fascinating seeing this all these decades later especially you know with the godzilla versus kong movie that came out a movie that just like relishes in the fucking big budget uh cgi fest of it all of these giant monsters fighting each other and like that's the big ticket item right the full-on special effect grandiosity of these big boys duking it out the original movie the the power of that movie 
1954 Godzilla movie comes from the terror of not seeing that, mm-hmm. of the anticipation of that. The the fact that like they're examining the footprint of mm-hmm. Godzilla. It jaws, it's Jaws before Jaws. Right. The 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 radiation that they're measuring off of the giant footprint of Godzilla and the terror of the the rumblings as he's approaching the sirens that are going off as he's getting closer and closer to the city. And then, you know, you get your big, you know, destruction heavy sequences, too, that they they don't look great, but you can't really ding the movie for that because it's like they're doing everything they had the power to do at the time and obviously it's not going to look like photorealistic but that's not the important thing the important thing is the feeling it conveys and that i'm so shocked it remains intact that you can watch a sequence of a city being destroyed by a clearly not real giant lizard (laughs) and clearly a not real city like you can tell it's all sets and 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 miniatures but the feeling whatever you need to man the feeling is intact like you don't you're not taken out of the movie at all like there is this through line this this tense suspense terror driven through line that never lets up well especially in in the first godzilla and of course as we progress more and more away from the first Godzilla. It moves away from this idea, but the first movie is just kind of about the characters. Like there's like real fucking actors yeah. acting in this movie. Uh, specifically thinking about, uh, um, Fuyuki Murakami who plays the professor who's just like willing to just, he's just like discovers basically a capsule that can deoxygenate water and can just like kill everything that it touches. He like creates the new, the next like horrible weapon of mass destruction and is like, just he wants to kill himself for it. He's just like, I discovered something that should have never been discovered. Um, And it's kind of dealing with that. Gotta give a shout out to my guy who shows up in a number of these Godzilla movies, Takashi Shimura, who uh, longtime listeners will know I've praised the hell out of this guy. He's a frequent collab- collaborator with Akira Kurosawa, specifically in uh, Ikiru, uh, my favorite Kurosawa movie. Um, he's fucking incredible. It's the first movie is just it's unbelievably good. It's it, so, so it's good. so crazy how a movie this old can hold up yeah. so well. That does rely on, like you're saying, like on the miniatures and yeah. on stuff that would look like they age, like you would expect it to age worse. I will say, and it's probably not a fair comparison because uh, this was made 20 years later. A movie that hasn't aged as well with uh, some of the looks and effect is 1933's King Kong. Yeah. Um, or... On that matter, uh, some of the uh, racial uh, things that happen mm-hmm. in uh, the old Godzilla movie or the old King Kong movie, which they then try to go back to in other versions and um, scrub it out. Yeah. But they don't really do a great job of that one either. Um, well, there's the, the thing that blew my mind about that movie is for 1933, it, it is mind blowing to think about what they had to do to convey some of these things like the the projection uh stage uh cinematography where they're like projecting this this uh sequence behind the actors to try to sell it and then it's just obviously 
you can tell it's not they're not in a real jungle ever and that they're on a set but like you can feel the the amount of hoops that they had to mm-hmm. jump through to convey this and and the technology that they must have had to wrangle to get these things to to line up it for 1933 it must have been a pain in the ass yeah um <laughs> Also, uh, shout out to it's a very, very bad movie. I don't recommend it. But 1976's King Kong, the forgotten King Kong that That's is the Jessica starring. Lange? Yeah. Jessica Lange and Jeff Bridges. Yeah. Just being two of like the hottest people in the world. <laughs> um, and that's about all that this movie has going for it. It's just like you're seeing two really hot people um, and one of them gets kidnapped by King Kong and the other wants yeah. to kill King Kong. Um, otherwise, it's a really bad remake. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, did want to shout out uh, just some other great Godzilla movies. Mothra versus Godzilla is a really good one. Um, and uh, as far as dishonorable mentions, uh, let's talk about Roland Emmerich's Godzilla from 1998. Remember when... You guys remember we were all around. We had this podcast when back then. Godzilla was when, a, a dinosaur. No, well, remember when uh, people thought that Roland Emmerich was going to be the next Steven Spielberg after he made Independence Day? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then uh, that didn't exactly work out. Luckily, he does have um, Independence Day Resurgence mm-hmm. uh, 2012 under his belt. The Patriots um, Man, Day After Tomorrow. Uh, R.I.P. Yeah. Um. So that didn't exactly work out. That movie is like one of the worst. That would be like one of the worst movies that I saw this year is uh, the 1998 Godzilla movie. Um, 1954 one though, fucking rocks. Yeah. And along with the the King Kong of 1933, we get a Godzilla versus Kong here at uh, Hunter's number three and my number two. King Kong more so over in my number two tying. I'll, I'll go ahead and write and write that in as a tie. What the hell? Okay. Yeah, on my number two. It just movies that old that that still hold up so well. It, it just makes you when you watch them, you're like for it to still make you think like, how did they do that? Yeah. It's King it's Kong is feat. 90 years old. Right. That's insane. <laughs> That's stupid. Like what? <laughs> Nothing about that movie should be half it's it's yeah it's wild all right drew number two betty white was 10 when that came out yeah (laughs) um and now she is 100 Uh, still kicking (laughs) we love you queen um i already talked about my number two on uh our best albums episode because it's parquet courts which again is cheating because it's a band i already loved they just they became one of my i'd say four or five favorite bands of all time uh, last year like i said on that episode a lot of it has to do with going through chronologically their albums uh they're it's worth it like you let up gold is their best album i'd say by a wide mile it's a band they share a lot of dna with bands like the strokes um who came before them like well before them but this is like a, a punkier like shaggier weirder version where they're they're not at all concerned with getting on the radio they have songs that are radio worthy in my opinion but they're they're all just a little you know that's not that's not their uh mission statement here they're just they're cool uh cool weird like punky alternative rock bands um i was talking earlier about how uh the casual feel that seeps into a lot of music i got into last year is is really really like crucial to it and that's huge here the questionable like, it sound, vocal quality yeah it just it sounds like they are just 
like get back style it sounds like they're just like fucking around in stew and they they shit out a riff that should have come out in like 1968 because it's so clearly good you know it's like wow how how did someone who just like knew how to play guitar 50 years ago not come up with this riff it's so obviously good um which is part of the charm of the strokes is part of why i got so into early arctic monkeys in high school like because they just they found more riffs you know um and then on top of that yeah this they they get weird they get a little experimental they're not afraid to have a long ass song they're not afraid to have a short ass song um they're they're not afraid to deconstruct uh they hardly ever over construct like it's they're just the coolest fuck band like they're it's you could call it a punk version of pavement sometimes um and pavement is you know obviously Stephen Malcolmus is like the godfather of he's the most casual recording artist to ever live like he never ever sounds like he even knows he is being recorded um and this band sometimes has that feel to it and i i really love him for it parquet courts drew's number 2 hunter number 2 oh your mic fell off yeah no it fell off i tried to catch it and be casual so the audience did not hear that um <clears throat> <laughs> Sorry, I have to chat. I just got I got thrown out of oh God. I got I thrown off of you, you lost the, your script uh, <laughs> went on the couch. My number two is Peter Lowe. <laughs> A B C D E F G H I J K L M N O P Q R S T U V W X Y Z. Um, yeah, my number two is Vampire's Kiss. Um, yeah, quickly just became one of my favorite movies ever, ever made. Ever. Like just, ever. just I've never seen a movie that has the energy of this movie. Um, it is. We talked about it so many different times that I don't want to like just go into it again. Um, I this is a movie and I don't really ever do this, but I will just like go on YouTube and just look in like I never misfiled anything. Vampire's kiss and just watch this scene. And there's so many moments of like that of that throughout this movie that I just I'm just like I have this image, this Nicolas Cage face stuck in my head and I want to see the scene in which he makes that face. Yeah, it, it's like a stupendous fucking performance. Like it, it's it is one that that sticks in your in your mind. It, this could have been like number one on my list for yeah. all I care. This, this movie's so fucking awesome. It's so bad and it's so good. <laughs> it's, it's, um, yeah, we, the we worst watched it ever made, but it's also just the best direction and best performance. We uh we rewatched it together here, and I remember thinking like that it's wild they kept the ten minute B roll sequence in the movie of just like generic New York B-roll Cause, shots. Cause this, the movie's <laughs> awful. Like the script is so, so bad. It's a piece of shit script. And yet, yep. Nick Cage just absolutely turning the whole thing around. Yeah, he came on his in, own shoulders. he was like, I'm going to be a vampire. I'm going, I'm going to be Nosferatu. And the director was like, absolutely go for it. Have fun. Yeah, please. Cool. Yeah, I'm going to be Marx Brothers meets Nosferatu. Yeah. Um, meets a sex predator. And it's, yeah, it's one of my favorite performances I've ever seen in my life. Um, it made me respect Cage on a new level. We could also, I mean, here we could also shout out Bad Lieutenant Protocol New Orleans. So that was, yeah, I, which, if I was, if I was including multiple yeah, Nick because Cage things on that's here. That's also a way better movie. Yeah. Like that movie is like, I don't know about way, 
Vampire's Kiss bad. is like a zero. Like Bad <laughs> Lieutenant is directed by someone new. You know, like it's it's it has a script and a, <laughs> a cast yeah. and stuff going on. It's still it's still not good, but it's like uh, it has like artfulness to yeah. it. It's also like twenty years it's, later, he's trying to kind of do it again. Yeah, and he's he's. Um, it's not exactly the same well, thing, but it's like a similar energy. It's, it's something where everyone is everyone is in on it in Bad Lieutenant, where the genius of Vampire's Kiss is that there's only two people who are in on it, and no one else is. That's that's the genius thing about Vampire's Kiss is that it should have been just such a train wreck, such a disaster that it was completely unwatchable. And because of Nick Cage and the director just kind of letting it happen, it created something magical. Beautiful. Shoo. 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 It's Vampire's Kiss. It's Hunter's number two and Drew's number four. All right. Here we go, boys. Number one. Our number ones. My number one as it was last year is a TV show. Last year I picked uh, Avatar The Last Airbender and this year I'm going with Mad Men. Oh, okay. That's not where I thought you were going. Watched all of Mad Men. Uh, It I remember this like earlier this year mm-hmm. you became a fucking like ad guy. Yeah. yeah it's so you started just annoying. wearing like smoking just cigarettes. Yeah. yeah. Just just cheating on my wife, marrying my secretary. Yeah. You rebranded the pod. Uh, You're like, people want <laughs> sex. <Yeah. laughs> you tried to take a bunch you of pictures of Hershey's us. bar. <laughs> you'll you'll relive your childhood. Yeah. Um, the peanut the peanut M M&M actually should be um pan. <laughs> 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 i'd want to see the don the don draper pitch meeting of the de-sexified m&ms <laughs> no don don would come in and be like all right guys twix is double fucking each other yeah absolutely <laughs> Ask to ask. Let's put down the right Twix versus left Twix war. Yeah. What yeah. if they just fucked? We this just show one Twix. This show is one of those things that like really sells the the idea of TV as art. Like it, it, you know, obviously, like uh, countless shows have been named in that echelon, like Breaking Bad, Sopranos, The Wire. Uh, can't say I've seen all of those in its in their entirety, um, but I have seen all of Mad Men, and every episode compounds on itself. Every season compounds on itself. It's a story that builds and grows and expands, and you learn to just get absolutely absorbed in these character stories. You love every single one of them. You're so absorbed in everything going on in their lives, and the writing is exceptional like oh my god it is so rich and layered and 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 dense with so many themes at the end of the day it is a story about the the void and the emptiness of the human experience and the things that we try to do to try to fill that void and don draper is a character who on paper shouldn't have a void He's extremely handsome. He has a hot shot job. He has a banging wife. He has kids that love the shit out of him. Like beautiful life, beautiful house, beautiful family, everything perfect. And yet 
he, he is completely the, empty. probably the biggest void of all time <laughs> yeah completely empty inside a, a shell of a man and uh, john ham's performance in this show is like one of the best things I've, I've ever seen like it is just i just want to stand up and cheer and clap at what this man accomplished like the the richly like complex portrait of this this broken man who cannot find meaning in his life even though there are so many things around him that could give him love and 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 meaning so what do you what do you make of uh matthew weiner's post madman career um i don't think he's done much he did the romanoffs no on um on prime Okay, so that's kind of something. Uh, Movie-wise, it just hasn't really... No, not at all. It hasn't coalesced for him, which is interesting because, you know, talk about the blink check to end all blank checks. This man made Mad Men. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's the showrunner for anyone who doesn't know. But the 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 thing is, is the, the writer's room of this show has gone on to do all sorts of great oh, shit. Yeah. They've, been, they've worked on all kinds of amazing yeah, shows. Yeah, the, and the cast um has, yeah has, obviously has elizabeth off. moss yeah yeah um yeah i mean all of these people are, are exceptional like they they're just they're these perfectly drawn characters where every single one of them is just like you can just feel that they're a wholly unique personality and you connect to their stories and you care about them and the relationships between them are perfectly drawn there's so many different pairings and different a set of stakes in how each person interacts with each other. And it's crazy to me that like all of the shows that I mentioned earlier about being in like that pantheon, they all have like a genre hook, like breaking bad. It's they're, they're selling meth. They're cooking meth. Sopranos. That's my favorite genre. Sopranos. <laughs> meth genre. They're, they're mafia. Uh, it's a mafia family. The wire. It's like the streets of Baltimore. You crime. know, you just call crime. it crime. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and then this is a what period? This is, this is a 1960s advertising agency office. Mm-hmm. Like there's no big genre hook to it. It's also not like, correct me if I'm wrong, but everything I've seen of it, it's not as funny as like say the sopranos it, there's there's plenty of humor but like sopranos is a very it's like a comedy yeah, almost. Yeah. soprano sopranos gets way way funny and, and breaking bad gets for all its darkness it gets extremely silly yeah. sometimes sopranos would probably be in this top spot too but i just haven't finished it yet i haven't had time to yeah, watch yeah that's the honestly last... it I, I feel stupid because otherwise that would just be in my list but i just haven't yeah had it'll it'll it. be on the list next year but it, the entirety of mad men is just it is exceptional. It is perfect. There are stretches of it that are pretty funny, though. There are characters that are like the comedic characters. There's certain situations and things that happen that are like so ridiculous and weird and wacky. And it's not just this like deeply serious and important show. <laughs> like, no, there's there's kooky stuff that goes I mean, on. Wiener was a, he worked on Sopranos. Yeah. You know, that's, yeah, that's and more importantly, he worked on Becker nice ted danson <laughs> it's it's one of those shows that i'm i'm itching to dive back into again because it, it can give you that sense of comfort you know because it is just like you know you're at the office you you know it's that kind of like returning familiar feeling of like you're always in the same place with the same characters and it's nice and comfy but 
there is this like much, much, much larger story at play here and where it goes in the final season is just so, so perfect how it all unravels. It's it's perfectly paced, like like nice and deliberate. And each season, there's like this soft reset that happens or you can I can picture in my mind like the through line for each season. Like, oh, yeah, that was the one season where they had the one company come in and buy them out. Also, Jared Harris makes an appearance. Hey, we love to see him. Yeah. His little arc that happens is 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 perfect, too. Um, I also want to shout out the um, the lady that or um, was then a girl now is a young woman that plays Don's daughter um, is amazing. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Um, she is now known for being Sabrina on Netflix. Oh, um, OK. Yeah, I know her. Uh, I can't find her her name right now, but she's incredible. Um, her whole arc is just, oh my god! Like it starts out as um, starts out as like this this little little girl who is just she's just a little girl on the side. She's just Don's daughter, and then as the seasons go on, she just matures and becomes this young girl and then a young woman and it is this perfect uh link to don because don is always trying to hide and obscure who he is and he's trying to be somebody he's not and trying to 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 sell people on the idea of don mm. and she sees right through him and she knows exactly who he is and she can look at her dad and know exactly what's going on and see right through all the bullshit and it is such a genius dynamic and it's something that i just it's just stuck in my head and i just think about so many scenes between the two of them and you also you also gotta wonder if they would have gone that deep into it if she hadn't panned out as an actress right because that's usually what happens with the child characters in in television is yeah. over the years more often than not they actually get phased out because they get to an age where it's no longer acceptable for them to be this bad <laughs> and right. so yeah and for her to get they just get written out yeah so uh, for her to get better is that rocks yeah the the actress's name is uh kiernan shipka um and yeah she is just such a talent she's 22 now so i hope that she has like a long career ahead of her but when just, did when did mammon end um i believe 2014 it's like 2013 2014 ish or so yeah, yeah. 15 15 yeah. Yeah. 07 to 15 I, I know it i know it really like peaked in uh in like zeitgeist around like 2011 2012 is when like you know we're, we're talking like John Ham, who is this guy? Speaking of John Ham, have you guys seen his uh, his fun new Apple commercials that he's in? No, he's basically it's like an Apple commercial where he's uh, like reading shows and movies that are on uh, Apple and talking about how there's like they have every other star. He's just like he's watching a clip of Ted Lasso. And he's like. I could have done lasso um, and like him just seeing like Mahershala and just like, Oh, well now there's two Mahershala's. Um, and it's just like, we have everything except for John Hamm. Wow. That's tough get, because that, that is in fact how his career has gone since. Yeah. Mad so, let's get like, him oh, yeah, in. John Hamm let's get him in this, let's, uh, let's get in, him this, in the pod. Let's get tag on Apple. <laughs> Let, let's get <laughs> him get on, tag, on this, um, tag series? this Lord and Miller show that comes out next week. The after party, he could be on there. Fuck it. Sure. Yeah. Why not? Um, he's game. Yeah, yeah. The the well, he's like busy. You know, the Chiefs are trying to make another Super Bowl run, so he's kind of occupied with that. Yeah, him and Paul Rudd are um, out to lunch right now. Yeah, on that shit. The um 
the character's name is Sally Draper. It's killing me not remembering it. But yeah, I I just I could go on and on about this show. I I want to watch it again. I think I might dive into it again when I have time this year. Um, it is an all timer. It's one of those shows that's like you hear about it and then you put it on and then you have to let yourself get into it. Cause I think the first season, it is a little bit of an adjustment because again, it doesn't have that genre hook. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a bit quieter. Yeah. But then once you start to really, really get into it, it just, I couldn't put it down. Like I was so obsessed with these people and their, and their stories that I just couldn't get enough of it. It's my number one. It's Mad Men. Drew. Number one, similar on a similarly deep level. Um, I, I really couldn't put anything else at my number one other than the entirety of Pluto TV. Oh, yeah. Just just with the uh, <laughs> the bar rescue channel, specifically <laughs> the the um, the game show network game channel show network channel is the one that Pluto TV is free, guys. It's free, everybody. It's just fucking sitting there. Um it's changed my viewing experience more than anything else this year where it is, it is the, the experience that I have been missing since I left my parents' house since, since 2013 of being at home, being able to just simply turn on the TV, go to a channel where something bad is on, but like everyone in the room, I, me and my roommate both want to watch it because we're both on the wavelength of enjoying the badness of it. Uh, That was my whole childhood was watching awful a lot of it was against my will having to watch this awful reality show with like my mom and my sister um pluto tv makes that experience better it's it's free there are ads you cannot get rid of the ads <laughs> there's no way to pay for it go away get, they don't want your money as it should be <laughs> they want to show you the same at&t commercial every single yeah. break every five fucking and it's minutes. not in a natural ad break no no like they, no, the story it comes to a mid-sentence oftentimes <laughs> yeah <laughs> a few weeks ago i elected to watch the movie heat on pluto <laughs> which a made it of like a four hour yeah, experience like, how long was that that already is like a three hour movie <laughs> B made it, i could have just spent three dollars and just watched a movie and it would have been way better but it just feels natural it feels right it feels right. better. And the also the, you kind of you jump into heat like 25 minutes into yeah. heat. Well, here's the thing. They have shit on demand on Pluto. It's just yeah, all with right. ads. I didn't know this until way later on. But that, yeah, well, it used to be hard to find because they, they, they didn't just, have a search. Bar. Yeah, <laughs> they, they literally they had an on demand feature but you just had to scroll and there was an A to Z and you could just like just <laughs> go and be like, all right, I guess I'm going to start with a dog story and then just yeah. work from here now down. now they have a search bar and it says new it says it says <laughs> there's a little icon that says new <laughs> so the search do we think like mark cuban or some like billionaire is the one who's like funding pluto tv there's has to be just like one guy who's just like guys what if we just like just made free cable and then it's just uh, bringing in hella ad revenue yeah they constantly. must make a ridiculous amount of money the the it's it's just endlessly fascinating to me scrolling through Pluto because you get channels that are channels, but it, it will not. It's not a rebroadcast of what's actually airing on that channel at that given moment. Like yeah. the game show, there's a game show channel that is not the game show network, um, and it exclusively airs game shows that you've never seen before. <laughs> um, but including, I've I've watched so much fucking baggage this year and last year, dude. 
So baggage doesn't count because this is a show that I've been known about. But baggage is like the I think it might be the greatest game show ever made. Yeah, because um, it's it's the peak of bad. It's you can't get worse. You know what I mean? <laughs> like you cannot you cannot make something more um exploitative of everyone who very willingly wants to go on it is there is our number one guy still on there in the on-demand episodes baby food himself i don't know there we need to find there it. are so we many need to find episodes. it we need to tag i need to see if this episode is still on there and if so we need to put it in the show notes but if i was to recommend anything out of everything that we've discussed uh this entire podcast it would be one specific episode of baggage <laughs> <laughs> that includes i think my hero i think like my goal of who i aspire to be in life it is a man who uh says that uh when asked like what would you like to uh <laughs> first he is asked if you were to describe your life as like one michael jackson song what would it be and he says <laughs> i think we all know the answer to that one jerry beat it <laughs> And he, implying that he masturbates he's trying on to Friday night. He's trying to be like sexy. Yeah. Um, to this woman. He then says. He's given he options then, too. He's given better he, options. He, then is he asked, could be thriller. He's then is yeah. asked. He could um, be bad. You, this, this beautiful woman over here uh, could make you dinner on uh, any given Friday night. What would you like for her to prepare for you? Uh, baby food. Uh, it's nice. <laughs> just lather it all over. You yeah. Know, you know, like applesauce. <laughs> <laughs> like. Who is watching these it's, clips and deciding to keep them in the show? That's insane. Exactly. Well, because Dude, that's genius. the best clip I've ever seen. It, it, I've like, never laughed they know. so hard. It's that. There's that, a few. It's episodes. a show where they know. Yeah, they have to. Yeah, they they know how bad it is. They know. It, they I also mean, it's, know how cringy Jerry Springer can be at uh, very often times, especially when there's women contestants. It, it's an incredible experience and it is best with ads i'd have to say um but yeah it it's it's a free fucking service and it's just sitting there and i yeah like you said they they, they just discovered that you can put a search bar on your streaming service so they're they're way behind i'm sure in terms of plugging themselves um and also it's still hard to navigate that search bar and find the on-demand shit. there's like an insane amount of good shit on there yeah. for free though um, it's really, really worth checking out, and the channels alone. I mean, th- those kept me going for. Well, a I, yeah, I wanted to. I wanted to shout out some of the other channels because I, for for like probably a solid three weeks straight, I had the 007 channel just on. Yeah, mm-hmm. they, they, they just had yeah. so many of the yeah, old. It's not just Roger Moore. Movies it's not just on. garbage. They have yeah, channels that are airing like great. Bar shit. Rescue. There, there's a Bar Rescue channel. <laughs> there's an IFC channel that just has yeah. Portlandia on yeah. like half the time. There's a Star Trek channel that just has like all the old Star Trek. There's a Survivor channel where it will just play episodes of Survivor out of order. <laughs> See, yeah, out of season, out of, out of season, out of order. It's the it's most chaotic up. thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, yeah, there's there's like a crime movie channel, for example, that'll just it'll show stuff like he just like nonstop. It you know it's it's like concentrated cable it's like what i want cable to be but every time i go up and i look at cable at my parents place now it's it's mostly just like infomercials yeah um, um i think that there's also like there is a <laughs> i know i've gotten stuck watching it before there's like a reality dating channel yes where they just play like a ton of like uh, flavor of love um or yeah that's yeah that's a different one where they have parental control next uh, stuff like that but then also they'll have like flavor of love and uh, um uh what's the brett michaels uh show rock That's of love rock of love um yeah just some good good shit on there great really shit. good shit yeah there it's it's 
a great place to find really great things and really awful things. And sometimes the ads are an additive and, you know, sounds insane, but guess what? Sometimes I need a break. Uh, yeah. I need yeah. something that's going to be like, all right, now you can look at your phone. Oh, uh, they also, uh, they just add a Tosh.0 channel. Yo. So, <laughs> yo. Um, so you could either watch mystery science 3000 channel or you can watch Tosh.0 channel. Yeah. One click so away from each other. that's Pluto TV. Uh, in its entirety and mm-hmm. it's Drew's number one Hunter closes out number one um, my number one unfortunately is not on Pluto TV yet um, although hopefully with time uh, there will just be an entire channel devoted to the work of one Mike Flanagan uh, because my number one is Haunting of Hill House um, I have talked about this show like ad nauseum on and off mic. So I will just say that this was something that my wife was trying to get me to watch for my wife. years at this point. My, my wife. Um, and I could not be more happy that I finally just broke down and watched this show. Um, because it's I think it's up there in the running for my favorite miniseries ever made. Like, I think that it is truly a perfect 10 episode arc of television. Um, it takes this convention of a haunted house of ghosts um, and kind of this childhood trauma and uses that that genre as a jumping off point to tell a story about substance abuse about mental illness and it is a show that affected me in a way that like i just i thought that i can feel like especially in like horror things i've become so desensitized to most things in life um and this is a a show that just broke me down like episode after episode i think that all of the performances are excellent including um uh, by and let me get this guy pulled up here because he's somebody who we talked a lot of shit about um, whenever we did our uh, episode on the Invisible Man. Oh yeah, I forgot he's in. Oh Holmes. Oliver Jackson. Yeah, Oliver Jackson Cohen. Um, who is just fucking incredible in the show. Like it's so so good. He is so so good in the show. Um, Michelle Hoosman. Um. Carla uh, Gugino, Timothy Hutton, who appears back again in Midnight Mass. Down the line, this cast is just impeccable. Um, but yeah, again, like if you have not seen the show, I cannot recommend it enough. Um, I got to check it out. It, Netflix. It is one of the most like well-written things in the world. Mm-hmm. I know for those of you who midnight mass wasn't necessarily your jam because there was a bit too much monologuing. This definitely tones it down a bit. Um, maybe it's because this was his first Netflix project. So he had one or two people giving him notes. Um, and now he's kind of beyond that. Midnight mouse. No, notes. Uh, no notes on that. <laughs> and I love it for that. Um, but I, I just, it's just so beautiful. I mean, I, it's, friends know like the the line of um i oh, love you completely and you love me the same that is all the rest is just confetti that was in my Beautiful. wedding i like absolutely just it gets me choked up even just thinking about the context around that line and when it's said in the show um it's perfect it's beautiful absolutely love it all right haunting of hill house number one that's it boys we did it that's the list 
Uh, so this is you're now listening to part six of uh, the saga of our first time. Experience. We did yes. unfortunately miss the entire uh, Titans Bengals game that I was hoping that we would see part of. Hey, but, uh, go uh, go Bengals. Go Bengals. Great go Bengals. Joe Burrow sacked nine times. No. We should wrap this up because the Packers already are up seven nothing. So oh fuck. Um, I wanted to shout out uh, those cage movies that would have been on my list if I had a lot of them. If I hadn't made that rule yeah. for myself, raising Arizona, fucking bang. Yeah, movie. if I if I hadn't sort of seen it already, yeah. that would have been like top Moonstruck. Five. Moonstruck oh. rocks. Yeah, yeah. I Just forgot about Moonstruck. So perfect. Um, a couple horror movies that I wanted to shout out that, you know, I kind of did a little bit of a, of a horror binge in, in uh, spooky October time. Suspiria, 1977, oh, the original God, Dario Argento movie. movie. Love that shit. Uh, really, really cool movie. Great use of light. Um, I also did a double feature of James Wan's Insidious and The Conjuring. Uh, oh, yeah. Right before seeing Malignant. And that was just like an awesome day of just like <laughs> injecting myself with the fucking one. Like, holy shit, that guy's talented. He's very good. The, both of those movies are so terrifying. Insidious just gets like super wacky. And I love it for that. But Conjuring is just like, it's just wow. Like, yeah, it's just a great like normal horror movie. Yeah, just great filmmaking topped it down. Um, And you can check out the rest of my list on Letterboxd. I won't name the rest, but I had a really good good uh time watching um a lot of movies for the first time there's 62 movies on my list a lot of them cage obviously mm. some robin in there as well um but yeah i just didn't you know obviously had to keep it to 10 but there's there's some really good ones that i really love that i wanted to to um to recognize too like um uh the lynn ramsey movie we need to talk about kevin um the original scream movie uh martin score says he's after hours um steven spielberg's the color purple uh pretty in pink classic classic um and m night Shyamalan's the village oh yeah so all, all those all were bangers. in the running for my top 10 didn't have a uh, chance to put them in there but you can check out the full list and uh let us know if you saw anything of note for the first time from years past in the year 2021 and stick around for next week when we finally bring you our top movies of 2021 new movies from the year 2021 i uh, needed to give ourselves this extra week to catch up on stuff because there's a lot of stuff so we wanted to give you this episode um to just pat out the month a little bit and then end january and listomania with the big old best movies of the year pod next week so That'll be that. And then beyond that, back to Robin and uh, back to chilling on the pod with uh, more segments. I miss chilling. More segments, more catch up. And um, yeah, thank you for listening. Rate, review, subscribe, recommend the show. Email us, donate. Thank you, beautiful donors, for donating. Shouts to a uh, friend of the pod, Colin, who was going to be on for this app, but uh, we had, love you. Had Colin. to work instead. You, you yeah. said he has a letterbox list. Who watched right? He 190 watched, yeah. movies. He watched a shitload of stuff for the first time this year. Yeah. Um, and yeah. no one will ever know a fucking thing about it. Yeah. I, I, I tried to uh, see if I had 
recognize any of the movies on his list. I recognize a couple. No, I haven't he, seen any of them. Colin is too advanced, man. <laughs> because Colin saw all the shit that we have seen when he was like, right, it was seven. Right. <laughs> we love you, Colin. Yeah, you're naming these horror movies, and he's like, yeah, nice yeah. Suspiria when I was like five. Right, right, right. <laughs> all right, well, we'll wrap it up there. Thank you for listening, and we love you. See you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs>